This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. All right, welcome to the show. It is Fall Sports Equinox time, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh my God, Eric, our schedules just got a lot more busy. Yeah, but I'm enjoying it. Ball. I know you are. Oh, it's my favorite. Basketball's here. Basketball's back, baby. Between college basketball being back, the NBA ongoing, there will be at least some sort of basketball on TV between now and June. I'm in I'm in good I'm in a good Glorious. spot. Yeah. Glorious. And you know something? What a time for basketball here in Orlando, too, because uh we're going to talk about UCF. We're going to start with talking about the UCF men's basketball team, which I think is flying under the radar. We, I'm expe- we're, you know, it fifth picked fifth in the conference, which we'll talk about in a second, but boy, I really love this team. They're so deep. Uh, we're going to talk about the women's team who just put the hammer to Duquesne in the second half last night. And they got number 15, Tennessee coming to town on Friday, huge game. My God, this I'm, I'm really excited for the women's team. And you know what, Eric, even the Orlando Magic are showing signs of life. All right, let's not with get care. Let's not. Well, let's not get Cole care. Anthony. Cole Cole Anthony is the. I am more excited for Cole Anthony as a player with the Orlando Magic than I have been since the Dwight Howard Hito Turgaloo days. I'm really excited to see Cole Anthony play, and my God, what a talent! Anyway, let's let let's dive. So we're going to talk about that. Football's coming in segment two, but the uh, but. Uh, and we're going to have Renee Angolia also joining us to talk about the football game coming up with uh, SMU, big game for UCF. But uh, but we're starting with basketball. So if you've been on Black and Gold Banneret, you know what's been going on. We have uh, we got our basketball previews up. Thanks as always to Derek Warden who uh, who and and to Mike O'Donnell who put together this great three part basketball preview series looking at the backcourt, the front court. And um, and looking at just you know, you know UCF's just season outlook right now, um, we got a column up from uh, from our the the uh, our latest edition Kyle Nash uh, on the mystery of the missing respect for UCF men's basketball. Great column from him. But Eric, it's you and me, and we and we we got some sound from Media Day here. But let's just let's just start by talking about this: the outlook for UCF men's basketball. Like we said, um, pick fifth in the conference. Uh, in the preseason, but I feel like that's, you know, there's a lot more ceiling than floor there. Uh, there's, this is a, this is a talented team that at the end of last year, you know, I thought really performed well. Um, you know, they, they, they lost uh, aside for the, the last game they lost against Memphis where they were, where it was really tight uh, in the American athletic conference tournament, you know, this team really finished the regular season. Uh, well, they, they, I think they won, what was it? Five of the last seven Mm -hmm. to close out the regular season. And the only two losses were by a combined two points. Uh, and, and despite all that happened last year with COVID with the injuries, they were, they were down to six guys in rotation at one point last year and still, you know, came that close to, to eking out a 500 conference record. This team had no business being in the neighborhood of 500 last year. And they were hot going into the end of the season, only to get only to lose to the three seed Memphis and Penny Hardaway by eight points in the, in the, uh, in the conference, in the conference championship semis. So in the second round, I should say. So you look at this team, Eric, 
what are you seeing right now? Is it is is fifth accurate, or do you think that they they could be higher than that this year? Well, I mean, they could be higher, but I think that's a fair uh, placement uh, because there are some interesting questions. Do the pieces fit? You know, and I think that's what's going to be very fascinating as we watch this team. This team brings a lot of players back, a lot of experience back, but they also have some youth in the back end here. So I'm very curious how Johnny Dawkins kind of, you know, puts the pieces together. How do they, you know, fit when you consider the fact, you know, for example, you obviously have Darius Perry back for an extra year to run the Mm -hmm. offense, but you also have Darius Johnson, who is one of the most highly recruited uh, recruits that UCF's ever had at the guard position, which by the way, that's the second year in a row that Johnny Dawkins has brought in a, you know, big time guard. I mean, I mean, Isaiah Adams last year, Darius Johnson. So how does that fit? For is, is Isaiah a guard? We had this debate on Twitter. Well, he could be a forward guard. He's a player. He's a player. We'll hear from Isaiah Adams later on. But, uh, you know, I think that's the thing I'm interested in. I mean, they have talent across the board, but do they fit? Do they fit uh, overall? I think will be fascinating. CJ Walker obviously returns. That's huge. You know, you know, he's a big force inside, but they also got a transfer from UNLV who's already a captain in Jong. So, yeah, you know, who's a big time front court. So, for example, like does Mbake and Walker fit together on the court at the same time? Will Johnny go big? Will Johnny mix it up, go small? We could see a different, a lot of different lineups, especially early in the season as they kind of sort all that out. Well, that's the part that I like about this team is that is that there is a lot of diversity that you can play. If you want to go match up with teams that go small, you can go small. If you want to match up with teams, if you want to go big, you can finally go big. Right. And, but like you said, having that depth there, I mean, UCF was particularly hurt by the, by the lack of depth at the point guard position last year, because remember Darius started the season getting hurt and, uh, and he, it finally came on toward the end of the season when he, when he played himself into shape, but I feel like we never really saw him at a hundred percent. Um, and then Tony Johnson, you know, got broke his foot at in the layup line at halftime of the opener, you know, and so all of a sudden, you know, in the early part of the season, they ended up digging themselves a hole because they Dre Fuller, God bless him, was playing point guard, and that's not that's that's not what Dre does, you know, and uh, but we it finally seemed you know it did come together at the end of the season last year so uh all right we got a bunch of bites that we want to get get to you get here from uh media day eric and i know that but you talked about um the importance of darius johnson and uh, johnny dawkins was talking to the media about you know one of these about darius being one of these highly recruited newcomers which i think is going to be important to figure out um let's hear from johnny about uh about darius here about darius johnson what he can expect from him in the future you no, know, Darius has been terrific. You know, he's a, he still has a learning curve like all young players, but a terrific leader, a really tenacious competitor. You know, kind of reminds me of BJ Taylor, to be quite frank. You know, very similar to BJ in coming in. Just can score the basketball, but knows how to make the players around him better. He has a real good balance to his game. So I've really enjoyed coaching him and, and watching him grow. So that was uh, Johnny Dawkins talking about Darius Johnson. Nice little BJ Taylor comparison. I like that. Do you know how much I love that? Oh my God! I, I, and I'm excited to see what he can do because now you have three bona fide point guards. Right, but that's I, the example that I'm saying. Like, how will the minutes be distributed? Will be fascinating because I do want to see Darius on the court, but will there be minutes there? And I think that's going to be fascinating with Perry and then Tony Johnson coming back. How does Johnny fit 
all these guys in because I know every coach says, hey, I want to play 11, 12 guys. But in reality, eventually you get into a tighter rotation, probably eight guys. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. But I mean, Darius is somebody that we've heard about for a couple of years. So I'm excited to have him on board. And it shows that Coach Dawkins can recruit. Right. And the other thing is like the injury factor, too. Like we don't know how good Tony's going to be coming back. Right. Right. I mean, we don't know if he's going to be 100 percent. God forbid something happens to him or 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 Darius or something you're going to need or, 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 or Darius Barrett. You're going to need Darius Johnson to step in there. And I, I do think like as a freshman, you know, you also want to, you know, kind of build his confidence. I think if you if you end up throwing him out there too much, you're going to end up you're going to the, the freshman mistakes can add up. Right. And then and then you're trying to untangle some of that. But I think having him in there. You know, it, the more the more important part this is about having having those three guys at the point. It's not so much what we're going to see in the games, right? It's what we're not going to see in the practices. Right. And, there, and right with when you have an ex, all, right, right when you have an experienced guy like Perry, that you don't have to like you know you could kind of take it slow with him, and, and he could, he's going to learn from that standpoint. So I think that's very valuable. But I think the most important thing for the point guard position. All right. And I think this is something that Darius has to do. And, and I, Michael Donald referenced this mm-hmm. in the Black Eagle in the three part series, where this offense has to improve. And one of the things they have to improve is they sometimes fall in love with playing ISO basketball, one on one basketball. And as a result, you get some questionable shot selection. And that is actually something that Johnny Dawkins referenced that one of the keys this season for his offense to get better is shot selection. Offensively, we have to be, we have to be a more specific team from the standpoint of shot selection i want to see our team understand the value of shot selection i want to see us take care of the ball a little more so those are two things the areas that we've really focused on this summer and this fall just taking care of the basketball and making sure we're searching out really good shots all right that was coach Dawkins, and i agree with that i think shot selection is key ball movement when this offense has ball movement they're going to be really good if they don't if they get stuck the ball gets stuck and play iso ball that's when they have some trouble and I think that's imperative of the backcourt in the point guard position to make sure the ball is moving and don't, you know, because at times Darius tried to do too much. He tries to do things on his own. And I think you've got enough talent around you where you don't need to be doing that. Well, one of the interesting things I think that, that that's about that is remember, you know, coming into last year, all right, you basically had no offseason. These guys couldn't get together. They couldn't develop the chemistry that they needed to have on the practice floor before they got out there. And when you have newcomers like you know, Darius came in as a transfer from Louisville, right? And then you have Isaiah coming in, who's not just who, who's not just trying to figure his way out through the team, but figure out how to be a college freshman, you know, Mr. Basketball in the state of Florida, but figure out how to be a college freshman in the midst of COVID. I don't, you know, I, this is where we're going to start to see where, oh, that's the difference between this year and last year. And I, and I, and I'm really excited to see, you know, what Isaiah brings to the table in year two, because, you know, it was it was a really encouraging freshman year from him last year. I mean, you look at the numbers, um, you know, he finished, you know, fourth on the team in scoring in nine point nine points per game, thirty four percent from three, forty six percent in total in twenty five in twenty five minutes a game. Um, you know, but there were some times when we saw some freshman mistakes from him, though. We did, but that's typical. And you're right. And you mentioned they didn't have a summer. They didn't have an off season. Yeah. So the freshmen really were playing behind the eight ball across the board in college basketball. I don't think it was an accident that a lot of teams that had freshmen 
uh, struggled uh, last season. But for you know, I think Isaiah Adams, the sky is the ceiling, and and uh, he's, sky's he's the limit. You mean the sky's the limit? <laughs> if, I, if I know, if I learn how to talk, one guy that knows how to talk, <laughs> thankfully, is our very own Kyle Nash, who had a chance to talk to Isaiah Adams about what he's worked on this offseason and the high expectations this season. It's tough and like scrappy team as far as um, getting getting up. We picking up ninety four feet. Um, pressing full court. We just playing fast. We playing a lot faster than we did last year, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's gonna be where um, that's gonna be our identity this year because mm-hmm. that's what coaches um, been emphasizing in practice as far as let's play fast. Let's get the ball out fast. Even if somebody do score, get it out fast. Push it. Push it back down. Like next play. And I just feel like this year it's just gonna be very different because. Once we keep going up and down, up and down, running back and forth, the next group of five are going to come in and do the same exact thing. So, like I've been telling them, 40 minutes, like, you're going to get the best of what UCF has, and it's going to be it's gonna be very hard. It's going to be fun to watch, for sure. So, what you're proving is that UCF fast is not just a football saying, huh? Huh? UCF fast is not just a football saying. No, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. We, we fast, man. We're going to play fast this year, for sure. Fair enough, fair enough. So, and we've been talking a lot about what's the same between last year and this year. Mm-hmm. What's something that's different? I mean, other than Bakke being added to the, the, the roster and already becoming a captain, very impressive. Yeah. Uh, but what's something else that's different from last year to this year that you're going to see that and be like, this is going to help us succeed? Uh, I feel like as a team, the, the vibe and just the energy that we have as a team in practice, and you'll see it in the games with just our energy and just being on the floor and just playing – playing basketball you just see on the court that it just feels like a different team than it was last year because everybody's everybody's bought into to winning everybody's bought into making the extra play making their teammate better and that's what coach Dawkins is is emphasized this year again and we inside as a team when we talk on our own as far as let's do to make each other better let's let's make the make the one extra pass so do this for our teammates so everybody can eat that's that's the whole goal because once we win everybody eats. and that's what everybody's been talking about if we win everybody eats. okay so fair, uh, i've heard some other people talk about um depth being a key element oh yes. this team as well yeah we have a uh, very our team is very uh we have a lot of depth on this team. It's just all the way down to the end of the bench. Um, anybody who can come in and produce, that's what that's what we're here for. So, and we're just feeling good when whoever's, whoever's starting or whoever's out there, knowing the next person that's coming in for you can go out there and produce something too. So, and it's, it's going to be a struggle for other teams because once once we come out or whoever comes out doing doing good, the next group going to come in doing the same exact thing. And it's Still, 40 minutes, just up and down, up and down. We're just wearing them out and just playing UCF basketball as far as we want to play this year. Um, after I asked Coach at the press conference about Coach K and his swan song, um, you had actually posed some questions of Coach yourself at the press conference there. How do you think he fielded your question? You said what? How did he field your question? Did you do, 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 do a good job fielding your question? Yeah, I feel like I feel like he did pretty good, you know, saying my question, saying um, I could be a pro, you know, do what he did. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's absolutely correct, you know, <laughs> absolutely correct. You know, this year he's been telling me that um, just a different different feeling this year that you can get and just toning out and uh, expanding my game and making it more complete. And I feel like that'll help me a lot as far as we transition mm-hmm. and not even like worried about like the pro level right now, but just just this year and focus on because I know after this, you know, it could be talks about that, but still just focusing on just winning games and being the best person I can be to help this team win basketball games.
All right, that was Isaiah Adams with Kyle Nash, a portion of that interview. If you want to watch, by the way, the entire interview of Kyle with Isaiah as well as other UCF players, subscribe to our YouTube page. Make sure you do that and give us a thumbs up on that. Look, I, Adams, is the I think, is the most popular player on this team. I think if you did a poll with the fans, I think people are excited. I think if you heard Adams' tone there, it's no secret what his goal is. His goal is to get to the next level, uh, and it's about you know reaching consistency like you mentioned. And I really do think he has a shot to be at the next level. And so does Coach Dawkins. So, uh, in fact, Coach Dawkins talked about what is the keys for Isaiah Adams. And, look, this is something that's going to benefit everybody is Isaiah Adams, get, you know, improving his game. I think Isaiah Adams has a chance to be a terrific player. I mean, the sky's the limit with who he can be. Uh, his work ethic is second to none. You know, I love the way he practices and competes. As I said earlier, uh, no one goes in when it's time to compete goes any harder than Isaiah does. He gives you everything he has on the floor, and that's why he's going to be a terrific player here and beyond. You know, as he continues to develop, continues to round out his game, like I said before, I think the sky's the limit for where he can play at. I think he can be great on our level. I think he's a next-level player. It's just a function of him just going through the process, continuing to stay hungry, and continuing to work. I, you know, I, uh, Johnny's right, and I'll tell you one thing that really encouraged me was you look at the last five games, Isaiah played, you know, it, Remember, he got shut out against Cincinnati in nine minutes, no points. And before that, he had two points in 20 minutes against Tulane. He kind of hit a slump sort of at the, at the mid-February. And, you know, I don't know what happened, but it was, it, the, again, he had that breakout game against Tulane where he scored 26 points in 32 minutes on 10 of 11 from the field. And that started a run. His last five games, he got, he, he played 30 minutes a game and he had, double digits in each of them only once or excuse me uh he had double digits in each of them except for once when he had a when he had a rough night against east carolina but um you know the the what we saw in that last five games against tulane tulsa the first ecu game and then that memphis game you know he had 13 points on six of 12 um you know that's that's like okay that's that's the preview for isaiah right I do, and I think one of the keys for this team to have success is can Isaiah kind of be that guy where, hey, if you need a basket down the stretch, go to Because I think he's the most gifted offensive player on the roster, at least as of mm-hmm. what we've seen to this point. Uh, and I think that's going to be a key. You mentioned the UCF picked fifth in the conference. You look at the teams ahead of them. Houston, Marcus Sasser is a guy that's their go-to guy at Houston. Memphis, Jalen Duran, who everybody's going to get to know is the best freshman arguably in the country, probably the best player in the American. He's a go-to guy for them. Wichita State, Tyson Entian, the reigning American Conference Player of the Year, go-to mm-hmm. guy. Even SMU, Kendrick Davis, go-to guy. UCF, I don't think had a go-to guy. You know, Brandon Mayhem would get hot, but he also would get cold Perry would take some shots I think Isaiah has the potential to be that guy to be the guy because I think he's the most gifted offensive player they have on that roster and if he takes it to that next step that's what could be the difference between this team maybe being an NIT team and being an NCAA tournament team speaking of gifted players who are on the verge of taking the next step we got to talk about CJ Walker, who I think is one of my favorite players to watch. Was one of my favorite players to just watch play basketball last year. I sometimes, I, you know, up in the you know we we did the PA up in the up by the audio booth because of COVID, and just watching him run the floor, rebound, play defense was just totally remarkable. And 
you know, he didn't have that many good offensive games. He had, uh, I'm looking at, let's see, one, two, three, three, four, five. He only had five games last year where he scored in double figures. The season high was 18 on seven and 12 against USF in 36 minutes. Uh, great game for 18 points and nine rebounds. That, But I feel like, like CJ is on the verge of being a really great, you know, two-way player. And, you know, we saw defense travels, right? It's it's easy to see how good he is on defense. But when he puts puts it together on offense, oh my God, that's gonna that that's what we're that that could be a real dangerous player to see. It is, but I you know what he brings to his strength and what's gonna get him to the next level is his defense around the rim his energy, and his athletic ability. The offense will come. And I think the guards have to help him and create for him, set up. So I'd like to see some pick and rolls for him. And I think he's got to improve finishing around the rim. But Johnny Dawkins talked about, for him, he's a benefit to this team. There's no reason why he can't be one of the top defensive players in the American Conference. I expect to see CJ understand who he is as a player. I mean, people, you know, kind of typecast, you know, athletes, and they want him to be some players that maybe they aren't. I mean, what he is, is he's an energy guy who plays hard, he defends, he rebounds, he can make an open shot. And that's highly valued. It's highly valued on our level and it's highly valued on the next level. And if he can just go out there and do those things, play with the same energy and effort he's been playing with all preseason, continue to knock down open shots when he had those opportunities. You know, he's one of the best defensive players. He should be like up for a defensive player of the year in our conference type of award. That's the type of player he should be. And if he does those things, we're better. I think it serves who he is as a player because that's playing to his strengths. And uh, when he does that, I think, you know, it just everyone wins in that situation. That was Coach Dawkins there on C.J. Walker. And, boy, and really a great point. You know, the more C.J. you know brings to the table, the more it helps UCF win, the more it helps him, the more it helps his draft prospect. And Coach Dawkins is right. Yeah, people are going to focus on the offense, but the energy, the defense that he brings, that's going to get him to the next level. He reminds me a lot of Montrez Harrell, who used to be at Louisville, has been in the NBA now. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that's going to be on a uh, bring energy, defense, can guard multiple positions. He's more athletic from that standpoint. That's his game. And what's interesting to me is he's going to have other guys around him now protecting the rim, whereas last year he was kind of the line of defense. Remember when he get in foul trouble? Yeah. He would struggle defensively you know in the paint now he's got some help coming uh from las vegas yep sheck bakajan who is uh uh who came over to ucf as a, as a redshirt transfer uh from uh from unlv uh originally from dakar senegal this guy is for real 611 235 um he was the big get i thought in the transfer portal Last year at UNLV started all 27 for all 27 games for the rebels, uh, 8.9 points, 7.4 boards, sixth in the mountain West in rebounding. It was fourth in the conference with, with, uh, in blocks. And he shot 60% from the field. Uh, this guy I think is going to be the real, uh, the, the sort of the catalyst, I think for not just offensively and defensively, because like you said, you know, defensively, CJ got caught a lot of times in foul trouble because he was the only rim protector there was. You put Zhang back there, okay, he's the rim protector. And then CJ can guard that weak side, maybe get a couple weak side blocks here and there. But I think that this team is, you know, if injuries aside, with Zhang in there and with CJ, this is going to be a very difficult team to score on in the interior if all goes well, right? 
Absolutely. And that's the blueprint of a Johnny Dawkins team. It's defense, hard work. And I think Young will yeah. fit that. And he's already made an impression. He's a captain on this team. That's one of the things that Johnny Dawkins talked about, as well as what Young brings to the table. You know, another player that brings in a lot of energy and effort. You know, I think that's one of his best best things that he does for our team. He just plays so hard. He makes a lot of plays just with his energy. And, and we need that. You know, like, you know, we want a team that's, you know, we, we look at ourselves as a blue-collar team. You know, that means we're going to put our hard hat on, and every day we're going to work. And he exemplifies that type of mindset. He comes in every day, he puts his hat on, and we're going to go hard. And so he sets an amazing tone. I mean, for Bakke, he's been voted one of our captains, and he's only been here one summer right now and a little bit of a fall. He's already been voted one of our captains of our team. So that says a lot about who he is as a human being, a lot about his work ethic, and uh, definitely happy that he, that he decided to come and play for us. Well, there's Coach Dawkins. So, look, I think that's huge. You know, I think defensively, inside, I'm really curious if CJ and, and John can, you know, play together. How does that go? I think they're going to fit in really nicely because they're two different kinds of shot blockers. And I think Mike alluded to this in the preview that he did with Derek was that, you know, it's like we're saying that, you know, you can have that active shot blocker and then the, and then the defender, it's really the perfect relationship between a true center and true power forward. Yeah. Even though, you know, we're not really, you know, we're, we're heading toward more positionless basketball. I, I, I love the fact that, that Jean can be the rim protector. Now, foul trouble is always a thing, but again, you know, if you have, if one of your guys gets in foul trouble, at least now this year, you have that kind of depth where, you know, you don't have to really worry right. about it. I mean, it you've got much, a, right? right. Cause you have a Jamil Reynolds, you know, as well inside. Right. So, I mean, Jamil, you're right. And Jamil is really good last year, especially yeah. toward the end. And that's, what's so fascinating. You got us experience. We got, you still got some youth. It's going to be interesting. Don't be surprised and don't be alarmed if Coach Dawkins, and it's probably this is going to apply to the women's side too when we get to them, if you see some different lineups, especially early in the season, it, it might be based on who your opponent is and what they bring to the table. Yeah, and you might see some guys get some early, you know, some minutes in one game, but maybe not as much in other games. It's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see the experiment here as this team kind of grows early on in the season. But look, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of excitement. Brandon Mayhem returns as well. Hopefully he could play more like he did the first half of that season. The Florida State game comes yep. to mind. Cincinnati. He had some struggles there. Uh, I think he's more, if he could be your number two option, like it goes back to Isaiah Adams. If Isaiah could develop to be that number one option, and then you've got now Mayhem as your two option offensively, I think this team will improve offensively. And if they pro- improve, I think they're going to be fine defensively. They're going to be fine defensively. If they're going to be improve offensively and shot selection, as Coach Dawkins has mentioned, and they're supposedly going to play more up tempo to try to get easier baskets. We'll see. I think that's going to help a long way because they're going to and they're going to need that because they're going to play a very difficult schedule, especially in the non-conference, which I would argue is the most difficult non-conference schedule in the history of this program. Yeah, this is good stuff. We we talked about the conference salt to begin with, and you know, and you know, not just the home games like against Oklahoma and Michigan, but also the road and neutral games too, right? I mean, we got Miami, we got Florida State coming in. Uh, into that non-conference schedule right. not coming into town. Um, now, UCF plays Miami down in Coral Gables on Saturday, but it's the second game of the year. Remember, they're opening tonight, Wednesday night, if you're listening to this, against Robert Morris. Now, before you scoff at Robert Morris, the game's on ESPN Plus tonight at 7 p- or, thir- or Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Before you scoff at Robert Morris and look at what they did last year, um, they didn't have a very good last year, but again, I think this is one of the things where you got to throw COVID out. 
Um, this and Mike alluded to this again uh, last in in the uh, in in the preview with Derek. This is a good Robert Morris team from 2019, 2020. They won 20 games. They went 13 and five in the Horizon League. Um, this is a very competitive team, and if they're going to be back to the extent that we think that they're going to be back, um, you know this th- this is going to be tough. This is going to be a tough opener sure. on the home floor. Well, I mean, a lot of these games are going to be tough. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. They go to Auburn later in the season. It's a really difficult schedule. And that's why, you know, the expectations, I you know, because I know that's been a really popular topic this week on social media across oh, UCF sports, which Don't we'll get, get into. Started. But, but well, we'll I'm, I have a feeling that'll come up in the Olympic segment. But here's the thing that we got to keep in mind. This is not a program that is a traditional brand in basketball. You look at the American, a lot of the experts have a two to three bid league. You look at Houston, for example, they're, the favorites, according to the coaches, even though they lost a lot of personnel from their final 14, but they do return Marcus Sasser. Kyler Edwards is a new ki- a newcomer from Texas Tech that I think a lot of people have high expectations. I think Memphis, the coaches have basically voted them as the best roster in this league, and I agree. The question is, can Penny Hardaway get them over the hump? They won the NIT last year. There are going to be a lot of people's you know, kind of flavor to pick to go to the Sweet 16. I think those are your two top teams. Can the league get a third team in? Well, if you're UCF, to do that, not only you got to win some of your non-conference games on the resume, but you got to deal with Wichita State, who you have not beaten since they've arrived in conference. They still mm-hmm. have Tyson NTN, but they only returned three starters. SMU is the sleeper team I like. They made the NIT. I think Kendrick Davis is the best guard in the league, point guard, 19.7 assists. Then you got teams like Tulsa, for example, Frank Haith. You know, how about this stat? Tulsa has finished higher than their preseason uh, ranking in the conference in seven of the eight seasons in the American. They always Hmm. seem to overachieve. It's very weird. Temple, they return their top four scores. Khalif Battle, who's giving UCF fits, is back. Uh, USF, eh. Brian Gregory, a lot of pressure on him. I think he's on the hot seat. They got 10 newcomers, Caleb Murphy, a lot of issues off the the court with his staff and – racism and things like that so not a really good situation there i think he's on the hot seat i think jim dooley in east carolina is on the hot seat they return four starters jalen gardner is not one of them he has transferred to virginia so he's right. no longer at ecu and then tulane returns three starters including jalen Ford. my point is for this team to make the tournament they're probably gonna have to finish in that three to four range because and, and, and you know try to you know and they're gonna have to probably beat wichita state at least split, you know, beat them at some point. They only play SMU once this year. They got to play Memphis, unfortunately. They got to play Houston. Tough sledding there. So I'm saying my point is I don't think it's a lot to make the tournament, but I also don't think it's a disappointment if they missed a tournament. Obviously, they're going to be disappointed. They feel they're an NCAA tournament team. But I think top five is fair for this team. That's the goal. If you make it top five, you get some non-conference wins, you do well in conference, you can make the tournament. This will change. The good news about the Big 12, when you get there in a couple of years, you got more room for air. You could finish sixth or seventh in the Big 12 and make the tournament. That's not yeah. the case in especially, the America. Especially with the way that basketball league is shaping up. Absolutely. Without Tex- I- Even without Texas and Oklahoma, man, the Big 12 is going to be an it's absolute be, it, yeah. murderer's row when we get there. It's going to be our, it's, it's been the number one conference in the sport, probably three of the last four years based on RPI uh, and net. Obviously, the Big Ten will have something to say about that, but it's a strong league. So my point is, for this team, the margin for the NCAA tournament is a little small because, again, I think the American is probably at best a three-bid league. 
at mm. the best that most they've ever had is four, I believe. So that's the goal. Hopefully they can make a postseason. I think to me, that's the expectation. A postseason team, whether it be NCAA or NIT, to me, that's the expectation. I have to include the NIT because I don't think if this team, if this team makes the NIT, I don't think that's a disappointment. I know some in our audience will disagree with that, but I think this team, this program, this is not a quote basketball brand, not yet. Well, we're approaching it and this year could be a really big step in the right direction to, you know, in preparation for that move to the big 12 and making sure that that happens. You know, what else is we're really excited about actually seeing this year, Eric, as we transition over to women's basketball, that women's basketball team started their season last night, Tuesday night against, uh, against Duquesne uh, home opener. So much good news coming out of that game. First of all, it was a tight game in the first half. And we were like, what is going on? It was 24, 22 UCF at halftime and then they go on a 44 17 run in the second half pulled it together and were and, and showed us that the defense is back uh it's based on last year. remember last year they were one of the few teams i believe in ncaa history at, le- at the end of the regular season to hold their opponents for an entire season under 50 points a game they were one of the best scoring defenses not just in, they were number one in the country they're one of the best scoring defenses in history um, uh, in the history of women's college basketball last year. And to do what they did in the second half against, uh, against Duquesne, holding them to 28% from the field um, was really outstanding. And the other thing that I thought was really just wonderful to see diamond battles out there. Remember the last time we saw her on the floor, uh, she was being carried off the floor in the NCAA tournament game, that first rounder against Northwestern with what looked like an absolutely frightening knee injury. What does she do in her first game back? Not only is she playing, she dominates the game. 32 minutes, 16 points, uh, and, and leads the way for UCF again that in a 68-39 victory um, over Duquesne. UCF also got some contributions from Anna Bernie, who, um, you know, listen, I know that Coach Abe doesn't, is not you know all in on outside shooting, but UCF hit eight threes, four of them from Diamond and four of them for Anna, who got the start. She was four of 10 from three-point range. Uh, Destiny Thomas got the start, had uh, 10 rebounds for UCF. Masni Kava came off the bench, um, played 28 minutes and got uh, and picked up nine rebounds, 11 points. Um, This is is a really good – this is exactly how you want to open the season, right? Yeah, and I think the big stat there, you mentioned Diamond Battles. The big stat was he's four, she was four for six on the three-point line. She's a yeah. much better perimeter shooter now. That's what she's been working on. Uh, sometimes when you have an injury like she did and that, you know, that she's been, you know, you just, the only thing you could do is worry, work, work on your shooting. You can't move around too much. So I think that might have benefited her from that standpoint. And they do. They have to improve shooting the ball. Uh, they're going to be great defensively. They're going to be good. They're deeper now. So as a result... They're going to press more. They're going to use that to their advantage. They're big inside. However, they're going to double their bigs. So how do you keep them honest? You got to hit some shots in the perimeter. You look at last year, Alicia Lewis was really the only threat from the perimeter. Mm -hmm. She's back. She had eight assists, by the way, in 27 minutes off the bench. Off the bench, Uh, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why you saw Anna Bernie start is to provide some shooting. She went four for 10 from the three-point line, six of 12 overall for 16 points. Now, don't fall in love with this lineup. Again, just like I mentioned with the men, don't be surprised if Coach A tweaks the lineup and depending on the matchups on that given day. 
But I think you you have an idea. I think this team, they believe, they know they're going to be good defensively. You know, normally uh, Coach Abe has got to fit in, you know, put the system in and they got to learn the defensive schemes and all that. This team already knows it inside out. Now the question is to take that next step to win the conference championship, to advance in the NCAA tournament, is to improve on the offensive end, and in particular, the perimeter game. If you look at, for example, South Florida is the team they're going to have to get through. The American is a two-bid, two-team league, basically, in my view, USF, UCF. Why did USF win the championship game? Because a Sydney Harvey got hot from the three. So now how do you respond with that? Well, UCF had a drought in that game, and they dug themselves a hole. You want to avoid droughts. Because sometimes players are going to get hot. Northwestern, the NCAA tournament game, they had a player that went to the WNBA. She got hot. So you're not going to be able to shut everybody down, especially when you get to the elite teams. So you have to score at some point to match that. And I think the shooting of battles and Bernie and Lewis, and even Tay. Tay took five threes, didn't make one. We'll see. But the fact he's taking threes, I actually think that's a good thing. They're being aggressive offensively. Opens up the floor. Opens up the floor. And it opens up the floor. And I think this group knows – to take that next step to win that elusive conference championship, which is the goal, and not only make it back to the NCAA, but win that elusive first ever NCAA tournament game in program history. They got to improve offensively, especially in the perimeter game. And I think that was a positive sign. But we're going to learn a lot more on Friday against number 15, Tennessee. That's what we're going to get a true test. Yeah, the Lady Vols are coming in. Uh, First time ever that Tennessee has uh, and UCF have met um, this is, this, this, you talk about brand programs. All right. Doesn't get any more brand program than Tennessee. Uh, first uh, tip off on ESPN plus is on, uh, is at six on Friday. So, uh, and then by the way, no rest for the weary for UCF right after that, they got to go to Virginia, but yeah. focus on, focus on Tennessee. Now coach Abe talked about this. Like this is, we talk, this is a veteran team, eight players who are seniors or fifth years. Okay. They got a lot of chemistry working together. So now we're, so, you know, she's going to put them to the test with this schedule. And that's exactly what she uh, spoke about here. Uh, here's Coach Abe talking about the tough schedule. And uh, as part of that tough schedule, playing Tennessee on Friday. The reason we scheduled a lot of these different games was number one, we couldn't get anybody to play us. That was the first thing. But number two, we wanted to get ready for our conference because if we prepare ourselves at the beginning, then when we go into our conference, I feel like we're going to be way more prepared, you know, to play some of these bigger games that we're playing. And we have a lot of really good uh, teams coming in. It just happens that Tennessee's the next game. And then we have Virginia. And then we, you know, so it's just, it was really a struggle to get teams just to come in and play us. So we had to, you know, make sure that we could get some of these returns because. Duquesne was three years ago they were supposed to return for COVID, but they pushed it back. So now all these returns, I don't even know if you guys even understand how it kind of works, but the COVID thing really messed up our all of our schedules in the country. So now we got some of the returns finally coming back and then some new series coming in. So Tennessee is a new series. They, they, they said they would come here first because they had a hard time scheduling. And so we'll go back there uh, the next year. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited just – for the challenge and I think for our players to play you're talking about Tennessee to play Tennessee and play Virginia and play USC and you know we have a lot of really good competition coming in play Arkansas we got a lot of really good teams but 
Um, I played at Georgia. I don't know if you know that. And so I played against, and she was one of the icons, idols. She recruited me, you know, the whole thing. So, you know, I, I always say I played for Vivian Stringer, too, at Iowa. But at, my mom is not in the house anymore, and Pat's not in the house anymore. So it's a completely different program, right? But that Tennessee name, you know, for women's basketball, you know, that that's still going to, you know, be something really um, historic for me because I, I had the opportunity to actually play in that facility every single year. And, um, you know, especially looking down and seeing her was really amazing. Eric, I know you're excited to see the Lady Balls in town. It is. I think it's arguably the biggest non, non-conference home game in UCF basketball history. To get a brand like Tennessee, second-year head coach Kelly Harper won a national title at Tennessee. I mean, you heard Abe talk about she played against Tennessee when she was a player at Georgia, Coach Abe. So, uh, look, it's a great test, uh, and it's uh, awesome to see them on the court. It'll be a great, should be a great environment. And I think we'll learn a lot about this team, and they'll be good. They're going to play a tough non-conference schedule, as Coach Abe alluded to it. Uh, they, they should. A veteran team, they'll be battle-tested, and they'll get them ready to go for the conference. And then once we get to conference, it's going to be that collision, UCF and USF. They're going to be the two heavyweights, that rivalry. And then we'll see if somebody else can maybe try to crash the party like a Tulane. But for now, it's USF, US, UCF, and everybody else in the league. Yeah. All right. So Friday at 6 is going to be this this game against Tennessee. Um, you know, it's 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 – Styles make fights, right, Eric? And I and I know, you know, obviously this non-conference, we're talking about how exciting this is. You know, Virginia, Southern Cal, Arkansas, Seton Hall, Iowa on the slate before we get started with this conference schedule. But I, I just, again, man, this this is just shaping up to be a collision course between UCF and USF. And Styles make fights. These two teams play dramatically different. They couldn't be more polar opposites of each other in terms of in, in terms of style of play. And oh boy, I just yeah, my I'm salivating thinking. Well, about and the players are you know they remember oh they they remember it was a half game it's difference, a very, a very controversial thing that meant USF was. You, you are very much on the record about how you were not thrilled about how the no, Americans I think it was that last. I think it was COVID forfeiture. Yeah. yeah, it should have been a share. Uh, and I think the players have a chip on their shoulder. Masani Kaba. Uh, Destiny Thomas, by the way, 24 minutes, 10 boards. Let's, that's the thing. This team has got depth inside as well. Uh, like I said, this team is an NCAA tournament team. But in the American, you know, this league is probably a two-bid league. So you don't want to, you know, you got to take care of business. But th- this team should be in the tournament. And high expectations for this program and for Coach Abe. And, uh, yeah, I think this team is motivated. I think they have some unfinished business. The way the conference tournament, uh, the deal played out. And the what if in the NCAA tournament game, you know, with Diamond going down, yep. you know, early in that game, they'll always wonder what if. And I think Change they don't the complexion of the game. Yep. So I think there's, I think that's why, that's why all these players came back, right? That's why they came back because they they want to they want to be that they want to win that conference championship. They want to make the tournament and they want to win a game. Something that this program's never done is win an NCAA tournament game. So it's a very exciting time for this program, and we'll see how this unfolds. All right. Well. One way it unfolds the right way is getting winning that opener, and UCF definitely did against Duquesne. Friday at 6, UCF against Tennessee at the arena. You'll want to be there for that one. All right, stick around. When we come back, we'll talk UCF football, which somehow got bumped down Rini. to the second second. Rini and Goalie is going to join us. Uh, analyst for ESPN, local guy. He's, uh, he's, he's kind of a good luck charm for us, to be honest with you, Eric. Uh, He's going to join us to preview UCF against SMU in Dallas on Saturday. Big game for UCF. What can can the Knights do 
against this struggling SMU team that was ranked not all that long ago. Uh, could this be the signature win for Gus Malzahn in his first in, in his first season at UCF? We'll talk about that more with Renee when we come back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you, and joining us now, analyst for ESPN. He worked his day job is he works for the Orlando Police Department. And yet he finds time on the weekends, aside from having, you know, wife and kids and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> to also do football for ESPN. Rini and Golia joining us once again here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Rini, what is up, my man? How are you? Thanks for having me. And, and I got to say, because people are going to call and say, you guys are wrong. I actually retired from the Orlando Police Department. That's I right. Got, I got my 20 plus years in. Uh, great profession, but it was time, it was time to, to move on to time broadcasting to full time. So we'll, time we'll to hang it up. We'll leave it at that. Hey, hey congratulations <laughs> on your retirement, though, man. That's that's a well done. 20 Thank years you. is a long time, bro. Well, and you brought it up. It, it was like I used to call it like controlled chaos. Try, and I was a detective, so I would work a full caseload, and then I would mix in my, you know, game prep, and I would fly uh, to my games on Thursday. And I used to have some detectives that would help me you know, do some stuff. And it was just controlled chaos trying to get my interviews and my coaches calls in during the week. But uh, that is all behind us because I am retired. Yes, I'm old, but uh, it's a good I'm into the next phase of my life. Throttle it back with that nice pension, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. That's how it works. I'm not going to (laughs) complain. All right, let's talk a little football, man. UCF and SMU. Three games left for UCF. Uh, and they're, th- and they're three big ones. You know, this is the, since Boise state, this is the best opponent that UCF has played. Uh, you're coming up nights are coming off a three game winning streak against conference opponents after that disaster up in Cincinnati, yeah. but it still looks like it's, you know, as of right now, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be Mikey Keene running the show here. So, uh, you've obviously followed both these teams throughout the season. You've been in- intimately involved in not just looking at UCF locally, but also SMU and following them. This game's on ESPNU, by the way. Um, the outlook on the matchup from what you look at right now for UCF against SMU in Dallas, in particular with regard to UCF's offense facing up against SMU's defense. And SMU's kind of struggling right now, man. They yeah. lost two in a row. They have. So there's a lot of dynamics going on here. So let me just start with, you know, I'm sure UCF fans, uh, I know UCF fans had higher expectations for this season, but I'll tell you this, as I'm looking for my view, and I don't have a dog in the fight. Um, I just happen to live in Orlando. I think Gus Malzahn's done a great job. I really do. I mean, with the amount of injuries this program has sustained, especially your quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, and, you know, Mikey Keene, I don't care how good of a quarterback you are, how high of a prospect you are, what your ceiling is. You're still a freshman. There's a ton of learning to do. Um, and you, you, you will, he will get better with each and every rep, each and every game. And that's just, that's just a learning curve. And so the, the, the crazy thing, I think if you're a UCF fan, you're looking at the scores the last couple of weeks. I mean, besides temple, you laid it on them, but you know, offense, everyone was like, okay, offense is going to be the thing. Right. And, and I, earlier on when I was at the, did the media days for the American athletic conference, I was worried about UCF's defense. And I think a lot of people were And the last couple of weeks, they've really showed up, which I think is great. Um, I think they're going to get uh, Gene Baptiste back this week. Right. I, if I'm not mistaken. So um, good there. And so they've been playing well, so that's a good sign. Um, I will say this, and you guys know this um, Memphis, they didn't get Seth Hennigan, right. They got a quarterback, which was his first start. So, 
but they did what they needed to do. Temple, I haven't really seen that much of Temple. And Tulane, although – Neither record, is Temple, to be honest with you. <laughs> correct. And, and you look at Tulane's record, just a, a train wreck, and it's just – that one surprises me because I think there's better talent on that team. But you guys know when it starts snowballing the wrong way, you just sometimes can't stop it. But you know what? UCF did what they needed to do. And they got the win. And now that brings us to SMU, which I had them last week against Memphis. Um, they were, they were, you know, favorites in that game and just offensively couldn't do anything. And it was a really weird game because the first possession, they went right down the field. They were in the red zone and Tanner Mordecai just drops the ball, their quarterback and Memphis gets the takeaway. They recover it. And he just, he just wasn't the same. And, uh, and so if I'm, if I'm UCF, it actually, UCF man, it actually makes me nervous, right? Because, you know, they lose the real big one to Houston, right? And of course it's the, the kickoff return. They don't kick away from him, and he brings it back. And so it's like, okay, let's get the momentum against Memphis because SMU still controlled their own destiny, right? Cause they play Cincinnati coming up and they could still get to the championship. And then they just go to SMU and, and kind of really lay an egg and, but it's a very, very potent offense, an offense that was averaging over 40 points a game. They're probably still right around there. Danny Gray, Rasheed Rice, Reggie Robertson, their three top receivers are dynamic. And Mordecai is a really good quarterback. I believe he's the leading, leading passer in, in the American. So yep. they can do it now. They didn't run the ball particularly well either. And the one thing they didn't do the last couple of weeks, were, which were losses, was protect Mordecai. Gave up a lot of sacks the last two games as opposed to the 7-0 and start. So that's something where I think UCF is going to get after it. I think Big Cat Bryant could have himself a game. And that's something I think they have to do. And even if you can't sack Mordecai, a quarterback like him, you got to move him off his spot. You have to make him uncomfortable in the pocket. If not, he can throw the ball. Now, I read, I read a report from a Dallas newspaper. And I'm not sure which one it was. And you guys probably did too. And Eric probably did that. Uh, Preston stone there. I believe he was a four-star quarterback where, when I did the American conference media days, people were raving about him saying, I cannot believe this kid went to SMU. Um, the, the reports I read, and I'll talk to Sonny Dykes later this week is that Preston Stone's going to play, whether that's packages put together for him, that's pretty telling, right? When you have the leading passer wow. in the American. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with guys. Let's look at the magic number, right? There's three games left in the regular season um, and then a bowl game. He has, if my records are correct, and I'm looking at him, Preston Stone has played in one game. Of course, you can play in four and not lose any eligibility. So that's why I think you'll see a Preston Stone and probably some other true freshmen. And, and I'll ask Gus Mellis on that, and, and you'll probably see it on the UCF side, too. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you'll probably see some true freshmen that haven't played at all this year kind of maybe get a peek here and there, uh, maybe in special teams, maybe in some other areas. But uh, and the other, the other uh, you know, 100,000-pound elephant in the room is Sonny Dykes has not re-signed his new contract, which apparently has been on the table for six or seven days from SMU. And he did tell us when we talked to him last week that yes, SMU has offered him a new contract. Uh, he said he, he hates dealing with that stuff during the season. He would rather wait to the end of the season. Um, but <laughs> that's what you have an agent for Sonny. Well, Come on, between, man. <laughs> between us two, the fact that he hasn't signed it right speaks volumes. I mean, you, yeah. you, he doesn't have to say anything. Um, we see what's going on in college football. We know, 
Texas Tech got the guy they wanted, the assistant uh, from Baylor. Um, Clay Helton went to Georgia Southern. And the reason, and you guys know this, the reason why these programs, if they can hire a coach now, is because there's an early signing period in December 15th. So it's not only for recruits. It's a lot for the transfer portal, too, in that that's, yeah. that's a recruiting phase, too, that you can get kids in there for the spring semester, which is huge, right, if you can get them in for spring ball early. So a lot going on. He said, you know, I read that Sonny said there wasn't distractions in the program. It, it, it can't help but be a distraction. Of course he's going to say that, but you were 7-0. You were, you were in a great spot. All of a sudden, now you've dropped two in a row. You don't control your own destiny, and your coach is rumored to go – Oh, by the way, it's only like 39 miles away, TCU. A lot of people don't know that from where yeah. SMU is and where he lives. It's, it's 39 miles. So you eventually you really don't even have to move your family, which is always a big thing for coaches and their families and their wives in, in their homes. So a lot going on there. Uh, I, I think SMU, I mean, I think UCF's in a good position, um, but they're going to have to score more points this week. There's, there's no doubt about it because SMU distractions aside, they have too many weapons there. They're going to score points this week. There's, there's no doubt about it. And so you, you got to be ready. You're right. By the way, you're a great travel agent. You know all the areas where Man, everybody lives and yeah. all the houses. Well, there. that's where the American Conference headquarters are. In that's true. I've actually that's been to Dallas true, a bunch of times. Great city, great location. So I will say that. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that they might play Stone with Mordecai because here you see have a hot topic spin that Joey Gatewood gets a, a number of reps uh there it'll, at times it gets a package if you will and yeah i think it's part of college football now right when you bring in these guys because of the transporter <sighs> you're pressured to play maybe some of these guys maybe if not like officially say hey if you come here you're gonna play but you kind of feel yeah. like you gotta play this kid to keep him happy a little bit such, and learn about the future right such an interesting dynamic because you know i have obviously you guys have seen a ton more ucf football than i have but it seems like when joey gatewood gets in there Lately, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, I really could do some help on this. It seems like it's a package where they want to use his feet kind of more yeah, running, right? right? Yep. And last week, it was like, okay, Tulane was like, they were ready for it, right? So all of a sudden, you bring Gatewood in, and, and I'm a big proponent, guys. If you ever watch my games, everyone talks about third down conversions and the, you know, the, the staying ahead of the chains. You have to be positive on first down. And I don't care if it's three yards, but second and seven in the playbook is so much. And I know it's kept and obvious, but people just don't realize it. Second and seven, second and six is so much better than second and 10, second oh, 11, yeah. and second and 12. And it seemed like when Gatewood came in the few times, they were, they were tackles for losses. And then you bring Mikey Keene back in, and then the kids at second and 12, second and 13, I just think, it's so hard to dig out of that hole. And we already talked about being a freshman quarterback. I think you can get away with it a little more with Dylan Gabriel. But to, to your point, Eric, yeah, you have to find a way to play kids, get them reps, and yeah, keep them happy, especially in the quarterback position, because that's the position that's prevalent in, in transferring. Now, listen, I'm an old school person. I think like it's gotten, we, we've coddled these kids in that, like, oh, I'm not a starter. Um, I'm just going to transfer because that's what my parents said I should do, or that's what Twitter said I should do. And the coaches don't know what the hell they're talking about. No, there, there's something to be said for fighting for your job and learning and, and coming off the bench and being a good backup and being ready and just fighting for your job. And so, you know, we've done that as society. I mean, even us at ESPN, we have, and it's not just ESPN, but it's, we have national high school rankings and they're on national TV. And so, 
they they feel um, you know like entitled, right? When they get to these programs, and a lot of these kids don't know how to handle it when they don't win the starting job. Um, so they immediately want to transfer instead of say, "Hey, I'm going to fight for it." Now, with all that said, the one position I do understand is quarterback. So you know, if you have a bona fide starter in front of you and you're a really good player, where you're going to be a starter. Even I think even the coaches, although they would want to keep you, they understand that. And I've talked to a lot of coaches this year. And if that happens, obviously they would love to keep the kid because obviously you would like two bona fide quarterbacks, right? But they understand that, you know, their backup, the, the kid that not, I shouldn't say backup, the one that didn't win the job has the ability to start somewhere else. So as long as somewhere else doesn't come back to bite you in the butt, I think yeah. these coaches are really – being honest with these kids saying, Hey, you know, you have the ability to go play. And, and, and I understand that. And, that. and again, that quarterback's the one position where, where I get it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm so glad I wanted to go back to one point that you made you about sure. first downs, because I think that's, that was, the, you were so right about the key, you know, last week, you know, this is a UCF team that came into or comes into this game, you know, right now they're averaging you know, 187 yards on the ground, really good balance this year so far. But the key to that, I think, has been the presence of Isaiah Bowser, who, you know, they lost him after the uh, after the Louisville game for a period of time. He finally came back. He hasn't quite looked 100 percent. And then he got nicked up in the Tulane. Yeah. Game. And, and like you said, Tulane did it to, to their credit. They did a great job against the run. They held UCF to just 48 yards net on the uh, uh, on the ground on 31 carries. Um your impressions of I feel like this is a much different UCF offense when Bowser is in it as opposed to you know you know between Gatewood yeah we can talk about Gatewood and Keith yeah. cows come home but he to me is the straw that stirs the drink no yeah couldn't agree with you more and just let's go back to that Louisville game holy cow how, how destructive was that game for UCF with six, the, six of yeah. their top eight guys in that and they lose the game they should have won on top that's like the right. cherry on the top right if you're a UCF fan you're just like oh, you got to be kidding me but as we just talked about, they fought. They have fought through it. Okay, it's their bowl eligible team. They're going to go to a bowl. Um, I mean, if they win out, which could easily happen, right? If they, if they play the way UCF can play, they can win out. You win a bowl game. You got a ten win season, and you yeah. look back and say, "How the hell did that happen?" Right? With everything they've been through. So that's why I say, if you're a UCF fan, you know, don't be distraught because uh, Gus has done some things. But to get back, yes. To me, Bowser is the difference. Now, a lot of that is offensive line. I'm a former running back, and I will be the first to tell you, as a running back, you are only as good as your offensive line. So that offensive line needs to get a little nastiest, nastiness in them, too. They need to get after it. That's an attitude thing. Um, you know, Herb Hand's been around a long time, okay? He's coached a lot of places, and he's got that nastiness in him that you want from an offensive line coach. So I think they're going to get after him. But you're right, Bowser's the kind of back um, that just can make the difference. And, and I, and the reason I love him is I wasn't a flashy back. He's not flashy, right? I tell people in running backs, get me the tough four yards, get me four, get me four, get me four. And that four turns into 40 because defenses don't want to tackle you when you run hard, mm -hmm. a guy you're getting four, you're getting four, you're getting four. One guy misses his gap you're out the backside, you know, he may not be a speedster. So that's why four is not going to get you 80, but you'll take 40 and he can do that. Now we'll, we'll see. He, and he, I know you guys know he's on the two deep, right? This week yep. he came out. So let's hope he plays. Um, you can play, and especially when you get late in the season as, and again, as a former running back, there is not a running back in the country 
that carries the ball a significant amount uh, that isn't hurt. You play hurt. It's just that's that's just what happens. So you can play hurt. You can't play injured. So let's hope he's not injured. I don't think he is. I think he's going to be able to fight through it. And so, but I agree with you. He's the difference. The running game is a difference. And I, I will say, and it, let me go to SMU. They even, Memphis held them as well. They did not run the ball well. So you have all these great athletes on the outside. You got the leading passer. <laughs> it all starts with the running game. You have to keep defenses balanced. And, if, and you, don't, you don't have to be a dynamic running game, but you have to do enough to keep them balanced um, defensively where you can use your athletes on the outside. And really, when I look at it, as they get Jalen Robinson back, and I'm really excited to see him, mm-hmm. right? Coach says he's yeah, healthier than he's been before that Louisville game. We know what Brandon Johnson's been doing, Ryan O'Keefe. So I'm excited to see them. And, and to me, they're very similar to UCF with what they have on the outside, um, what they can do with the running game. And then, you know, again, Mikey, freshman quarterback. I'm not going to compare him to Tanner. Um, but, you know, obviously if Dylan was in there, I, I mean, offensively, it would be pretty, pretty, pretty similar, different, you know, different thought processes of what you do. And that's the other thing too. A lot of people don't realize Gus's offense. And I'm sure he said this during the season when someone's interviewed him, it's a run first offense. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's a spread read. No, no, he, he runs the ball first. There's no doubt about it. And that's why someone like Bowser's it's very important and critical for his offense. Yeah. And Bowser, Bowser, the other thing that too is, and I know you appreciate this as a former running back, like he's got such good vision. I feel like that's probably his best. That's probably his best thing. And and when you have good vision, you can find you can see holes as they before they develop. Jeff, like that, you're, on the, that, you're on the money, buddy. I think I think uh, you know your illness is, has helped your football. IQ because <laughs> I tell people all I mean, the time, you cannot teach vision. Right. Either you have it, thank the Lord, thank your parents, or you don't. And that and I see that each week calling games where you, you see these dynamic running backs and they have all this talent. And I'm like, where the hell was he looking? Like, what did he not see? It's crazy. You got vision, man, that, that is the number one thing. If I was going to build a running back and I'm going to start with something, give him vision. You're yeah. on the money. Yeah. Cause he, he, he shows such good patience and he, and that can make your offensive line look, look good too. Eric, you had a question. Also go ahead. Well, Rini, you made a great point earlier about UCF and first downs and falling into second and long and things like that. You know, and and I brought this stat up earlier prior to the show. And, and Mark Daniels, the radio voice of UCF, has brought this up on his radio show this week. UCF had 22 plays on first down against Tulane, netted 30 yards. Can't that's, do it. Can't do it. That, that's long distance. And I'm curious, your thoughts on SMU's defense, Jim Levitt? It's the defensive coordinator, yeah. obviously former USF head coach, so UCF fans know him very well. Not the most popular guy in UCF fan, uh, fan base circles there for obvious reasons. But what's your thoughts on him and this defense? What are we going to see from SFU teams? Because I thought they gave them a chance to come back and steal that game from Memphis yeah. last week in that fourth quarter. They did. So they used to play an even front. Jim gets there. They go on odd front, so three down. But they have been walking a guy up playing more even. I talked to him about that. Um Here's the interesting thing. I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I'm going to go off my head. They held Memphis, I want to say, eight eight for 22 or eight for 23 on third down, which is good. You know, they got off the field, but Memphis was five of eight on fourth down against SMU. It's like one of those things Ryan Silverfield said, blanket, we're going for it. I know you (laughs) guys have seen it. 
some of it's analytics, some of it's just like blanket. Um, I'm going for it. A lot more teams are going for it on fourth down. It's in, in situations and places on the field we've never seen before, which I, I love. Um, but they were five for eight against them. And, and two of them, four, one was fourth and 11, and one was fourth and 12. And, and, and Memphis got it. So that had to be a backbreaker. So I can't wait to talk to Jim about that. Um, they're pretty good. He's got some good guys. Uh, Shane Haley, I'm looking at my chart right here. 23, the middle linebacker is pretty good. Delano Robinson, another linebacker. They got a nickel, uh, plays what's called their Jack, Isaac Slade. Uh, Matatia, and you probably saw him. He jumped over the uh, right the Houston. That was amazing. By the way, that guy's an amazing, very play. athletic. Uh, Trevor Denbo, their starting safety, um, he got nicked up, but I think he's going to be okay. Um, they're an opportunistic defense. I mean, I as I'm looking at their numbers, that you know, it's not like they lead the nation in anything. And ironically, as I look, they were really good at getting off the field on fourth down. And then of course, uh, Memphis just, just blew that up. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a decent defense. They don't do anything overwhelmingly great. Um, but you're right. They did what they needed to do to get back in the game, um, for that offense. And that's the thing. And, and I think UCF kind of went through this a few years ago when the offense was so good. And we're to a point guys in college football, if you're in the proper league and this always held suit in the big 12, which UCF's headed that where if you have an offense, that can score 45 points a game. You don't have, have to have a dominating defense, but what you do need to do is you have to have an opportunistic defense and what's yeah. opportunistic. It means, okay, getting that big third down stop or fourth down stop, right? Getting the ball back for your offense or getting that takeaway at the right time to steal a possession. And when you can do that, as long as your offense is clicking on all cylinders, that's how you win those 45, 35 games, those 42, 38 games. But if your offense isn't clicking, well, then your defense needs to step up and be dominant, right? And so, you know, that's where I think this defense was. It was opportunistic. SMU, you know what I'm talking about, was opportunistic. was making some plays, but the, the offense was av- was averaging, I don't have it, over, well over 40 points coming into the, the game last week. So, But you've seen what's happened. The offense hasn't really scored, and, and they've lost a couple games. Yeah. All right, last question for you. Well, second yeah. to last question. What's the plot of this game if UCF is going to pull it off? Yeah, so the the, the ever early 11 a.m., local time game for UCF. So let's, you know, get up nice and early. And I, I bet you Gus has them up early preparing for that already. Um, getting, getting down there. SMU, uh, w- when I talked to uh, their offensive coordinator, Graham, uh, Garrett Riley, excuse me. He said the last two weeks, really slow starts. And guess what? They were really slow against Memphis. So they're going to try to come out of the, Gates really early against UCF. There's no doubt about it. So I would think quick pace, um, take, taking some deep shots, trying to get those receivers early. So if UCF defensively can weather the storm early, right? It's a game where I think on the road, UCF can't go down like 14 nothing early at the end of the first quarter. I think that'll be problematic for them. If they can hang in there, be tied, maybe have a lead at the end of one and get the running game going with Bowser, as you talked about, um, I, I think they'll, I, I think they'll be in it in the fourth quarter and it's a game they can win. So to me, as I look at this game, if you're a UCF fan, I think the first quarter is going to tell a lot and get some pressure on Tanner as well, yeah. because I, and I've argued with Jeff here off the air about this. I think Tanner is the best pure passer 
that UCF will see the entire year. Not maybe the better quarterback. I think Desmond Ritter is a better all-around quarterback when you include his legs and ex- experience and the intangibles that he sure. has. Malik Cunningham is a super talented kid at Louisville. But none of those two are as good of a pure passer, in my opinion, than Tanner Mordecai. Do you agree with that? No, I do agree. And a matter of fact, in our production meeting, we talked about our open. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to highlight, highlight Big Cat Bryant because of what you just said. This is a game where they have to get some pressure on them. Um, and again, you don't have to sack him. It's prefer- preferable if you sack him if you're a UCF fan, but you have to move him uh, off his spot, make him uncomfortable, get him some hits. But you're right. A guy like Mordecai, he stands in the pocket with a clean pocket. He's got too many weapons. Uh, the UCF secondary will not hold up. I mean, if you just can't. And one, one weapon we didn't talk about, who's his roommate who came there um, with him from Oklahoma. Calcaterra. Is yeah. Calcaterra. Um, who really kind of had a quiet game against Memphis. So that's a guy, look for a matchup. You look for them to get a good matchup uh, on UCF to see if they can get him going early as well. Um, so, yes, they have to get pressure on him early. Um, they're going to try to to score early and often. There's no doubt about it. Um, and so it'll be interesting. But, yes, pressure would be the key defensively. All right. Rainy Angolia, R-E-N-E-I-N-G-O-G-L-I-A on Twitter. You can follow him there. He'll be calling the game uh, on uh, Saturday for UCF against SMU. All right, last last thing before I can't let you go, Rainy. Yeah, without, go ahead. Uh, without asking you about your UMass Minute, man. What is the yes. deal, man? How do we get? <laughs> how do we? How do? How, when? When are we going to see? Rainy Angolia Stadium be constructed here for the for the Minute Men and and well and solve this program that is barely hanging on in FBS, which is a, a proud program when you Correct. were there, Rini. How about this, guys? A lot of people don't know this. The uh, University of Massachusetts played their first football game in 1879. I believe it's the fourth oldest program in history. So you just don't that, – that just doesn't go away. Obviously, you know, they fired their coach, Walt Bell, this week and their, and their defensive coordinator. Um, I can report um, I've had – Multiple conversations with the athletic director, Ryan Bamford, um, uh, just, you know, talking to him about stuff. And, you know, everyone's trying to do the right thing, right? And so the next hire is going to be crucially important uh, for the program. Uh, Like we just talked about earlier with with some of the hires, I I don't know his time frame. We didn't get into specifics like that. But a lot of ADs want to coach in place if they can, if feasible in December, right? Yeah. To just get running. So the next coach is the most important thing. Um, And then after that, you know, you can't live as an independent. Okay. I mean, BYU could, I mean, Notre Dame can and does. BYU could, and even BYU said, nah, we're done. We're going to big 12, right? Liberty's got more money than, than people realize they could have probably did it. They said, no, no, we're going to go to conference USA. So I am still holding out strong that they can get in conference USA. So there was a decision today. I don't know how much you guys were on Twitter before we hopped on here. Uh, Middle Tennessee state is staying in conference USA. Uh, Western Kentucky said they would not go to the Mac without middle Tennessee. Yep. So now that leaves them with, that'll leave them with nine full members. 
Um, I believe they would bring a 10th in. Uh, UMass has to go the football only. Uh, you know, it's no disrespect to conference. You say you're not going to pull all your other sports out of the Atlantic 10. You're just not going to do it. Yeah, no, um, basketball is too strong. Yeah, well, and, they're Olympic, and they're Olympic sports. It's yeah. a great conference for everything else. Um, so if they can bring UMass over in a football only, um, which would give them 10 football members, I think that's a no-brainer. I think Ryan Bamford would do it in a heartbeat. Um, right now, UConn's kind of in that denial stage where they think they can stay as an independent all you have to do is look an hour up the road to UMass, what they've been through. Um, so they need, so two things to answer your question. One, make the right hire. And two, I think get in a conference. It's just, yeah, it's fine. You can play those money games. They played three ACC teams this year on the road. Um, you, you just can't do it. Um, they go to Texas A&M next year. I think Texas A&M is giving them like 2.1 million for that one game. Oh so, gosh, wow. uh, but they're playing a bunch of Mac teams and some teams that will be in conference USA. So, a lot better uh, grouping for them. So yeah, I am. Uh, it's it's hurt. It's actually hurt as as an alum to see what's happened up there. Um, it, it's a proud tradition. It really is. Um, so that we'll get it back. We'll get it back, Jeff. And I, I do have to say too, twenty twenty one, right? Um, crazy year. Calling the uh, I will be calling the as you said the UCF SMU game, which kicks off twelve o'clock Eastern time in Dallas. Uh, I will be calling that game from Orlando. Of uh, for so uh, how's that for irony? Hey. Right for uh, my at my home studio where I'm sitting in right now. So it's uh, crazy times, guys. Crazy times. Wild, wild man. Well, we will hear you uh, on ESPNU at noon Eastern, along with John Trippin. Uh, on uh, from uh, well, you won't be at Gerald Ford Stadium. <laughs> you will be well, in we, your we, home we in North Atlanta. Through your TV, but, the, but I'll, yeah, I'll be right here with. Uh, we're just glad to hear your with voice. My lovely backdrop Wait, behind there. me. There you go, my ESPN backdrop. So. Perfect. There's all my. Excellent. There's all my. I give you guys. We've all gotten here. used to doing broadcast from our house. Listen, what, hey, yeah, Reedy, right? whatever, whatever you got to do to get that, you know, to get you know, if you if it scores you a larger television in the office yeah, right. it's worth it you know i mean well, the good news is so i'm doing this game from home i got maction tuesday so i'll be traveling uh tuesday from action and then well, you be better going... stay warmed up for maction we've had some yeah. good tuesday and, night and i don't know this where year. i'm gonna be i had a real good one a couple weeks ago i had that that uh eastern michigan toledo game which was which was a dynamite i'll find out tomorrow where i'll be yeah. tuesday and then i'll be flying to bristol to the home on friday i'll be calling my saturday game next week which i don't know where from the Bristol studio, because then I have the FCS selection show on Sunday, uh, the 21st. So I'm jam packed the next. Uh, You're a busy man. You're I'm busy. I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to roll. This is a great time of the year. Happy Hello. Thanksgiving. Jeez. Holy smokes. Yeah. Same Rainy to you guys. <laughs> Same to you. Hey. We'll see you on ESPN. You better go ahead, Eric. No, I was going to say, hey, great work, too. You were part of the American Conference Media Days with Chris Button. Uh, you guys did a tremendous job kind of setting us up for the American conferences and meeting all the coaches. I know you had a blast doing that, uh, and, and, right? What was that like? And, and kind of, is anything surprised you from this league this year? Yeah, I think it's underachieved. I mean, I'll be honest yeah. with you. And yeah. I think, yeah. and I, oh, let's, uh, let's get off there. If someone tries to call me um, <laughs> and why we have a minute, let's stay on this for a second. That has hurt Cincinnati. I agree. There's, yes. no, there's no doubt in my mind. And you can just tell what the committee's done. I mean, you know, Houston keeps winning, right? Houston's still not in the, in the top 25. I mean, when that first ranking came out, I was shocked that SMU and Houston weren't in the top back end, and but they weren't. And but again, if you look at the conference from top to bottom, it, it has not um, had the, the success that it normally has. And we can point it right, right where we're talking about UCF, 
Memphis, right? Two yep. right there that, that stick yeah. out. Um, Tulane, you mentioned earlier, it's dunder cheap. Tulane, the last couple of years, has been that 500 team. And how about Navy, guys? Yep. Where the hell is Navy? Agreed. Uh, Agreed. You know, so that has hurt Cincinnati. But with that said, if they just went out, I mean, with what's going on in front of them, it's it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. But yes, yeah. to get back to your it's, initial question, the American has, has underachieved, and it's it's it's, it's hard. It's so hard for that because like it's not Cincinnati's fault that Dylan Gabriel got hurt, right? It's not Cincinnati's Correct. fault that Navy had the bottom drop out of them last year from from COVID, and 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 they're still they're still kind of picking up the pieces from that. And, and here's the amazing thing. And I, I, I agree with Luke fickle. I like Luke fickle. It's hard to win. It is a win's a win. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're like fifth or sixth in the nation and you have one score games against teams in your conference with one win, I mean, that's just, that's like red light, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm not all, I'm not for running it up or whatever, but that's what team, that's what people in the nation expect. And the crazy thing is they haven't played great the last three weeks, right? They've gotten wins. And they've moved up in the rankings. They're so number five. Correct. They're, five. They're right there. Fan, if you're a Cincinnati fan, you're like, okay, we, we still can do what we need to do. And, and listen, um, they're going to get SMU, who's going to have a winning record. Obviously, the UCF fans hope it's a less winning record yeah. when they get yeah. to them. But it's still a winning record. And they're going to get Houston. Uh, it looks like they're going to get Houston. So they're going to have a chance to get a couple big wins here. Um, but they, they, you guys seen them already. And, this was my surprise team this year, um, and they're doing exactly what I thought. And, it, and UCF almost got nicked by them as ECU. Yep. So, in East Carolina, yeah. they hate Cincinnati. There was some, you know, no love loss there last year. Um, and that's a team that just last game of the year, if you're Cincinnati, you're thinking about the American Conference Championship, do not overlook them. I, I am a, uh, a huge Mike Houston fan. I think this is his third year. He's doing exactly what he needs to do. So that's, that's one of the teams in the conference. I think that's, I don't want to say he's overachieved has done what I thought they would do in his third year. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, but to get back to you, Eric, too, the, and I know UCF fans don't care because going to the big 12, but let me say this about UCF fans. Cause I'm in tune in Twitter. I may not always answer people or, or, or get in. Cause I, I'm not a Twitter mob person, but I do listen. I know what everyone says. I know what everyone's opinion is. I, I was kind of taken aback by a lot of the UCF fans attacking Mike Oresco and the American after they got the big 12 invite guys, I got news for you. If it wasn't for the American and, and what the conference did for you, you wouldn't be in the big 12. Now people will say, Oh, it's what UCF did for the American. It's, it's, it's a give and take guys. They work together. So oh. it's not UCF, it's Cincinnati and Houston. Mike Oresco did a phenomenal job. At the end of the day, guys, if you don't have the autonomous five designation next to your conference, and we know there's only five of them, and it's also called Power Five, but the true true word is autonomous five. If you don't have that, you're, you're out of luck. And Mike oh, yeah. Oresco knows that. And that's why they tried so hard to make some moves early, you know, to keep people in. And they just couldn't do it because you just can't compete. With if you don't have the autonomous five, and and he understands that, and so I just think it's a little disingenuous to kind of pound on the American as, as you're leaving. I just I just don't think that's the right thing to do. Oh, listen, you're talking to two people who uh, who have a pretty uh, pretty strong reputation as two of the American Athletic Conference apologists among UCF Twitter. You don't have to tell us, right? Because I've said it before. It's like you know, 
Oresco is dealing with a business model that, that you know, it is, I think that one of the things that actually goes back to what it goes back to is a lot of UCF fans are upset at him because they didn't feel like he defended the national championship claim in 2017 as strong as he could. But I, but my case was, and, and this is, this is true. He was in the middle of negotiating a $1 billion television contract Correct. with ESPN, which at the time was, try, you know, he's not going to crap on ESPN's, you know, premier product, yeah. which is college football play, because up until recently, we didn't know that Disney could get a Super Bowl. You see, ABC hasn't sure. aired a Super Bowl. So that's ESPN's primary product. He's not going to do anything to jeopardize that relationship. So, of course, he kind of had to bite his tongue. And then once that once the once the dotted line was signed, you know, yes, he's come out and, they, you know, he's come out, defended Memphis. He's come out, defended Cincinnati, mm-hmm. come out, defended UCF in retrospect. I'm like, guys, this is a business at the end of the day, he's got to put money in the pockets of these universities. And that's right. what he's doing with these deals. And you, Jeff, you're, you're on the money. And I'll say this while we back up that 2017 UCF team, I thought was just fantastic and they got screwed. But and, and here's what we'll talk about Cincinnati. If you're a Cincinnati fan, you should thank that 2017 UCF fan, uh, yeah. team because that started everything in motion. Right. I mean, that you guys paved know, the way. You know, so they beat Auburn. Gus Malzahn coached Auburn team in a Peach Bowl, uh, a team that beat Alabama that year, right? They go undefeated. 2018, what and, was the, what, and what was their record? What was their preseason ranking after that performance in 2017 and 2018? It was like 18. Uh, 2018, they were in like, they were like 18th or 20th. I can't yeah, remember exactly. Right? Let me look So just no respect, not only for UCF, but for the American. Because of, large part because of UCF, the fight the last three or four years, has gotten the American more national respect. Now, I will say I don't think the American still gets enough national respect. Of course, they haven't helped themselves out this year as a conference top to bottom. But, you know, the fact that Cincinnati started as high as they did this year, it, it really is a testament yeah. to what the American and UCF did, you know, a few years ago. There's no doubt in my mind. And, Rini, 2018 preseason poll in the AP, UCF was 21 Coming Crazy, off of right? a 13-0 season, 23rd in the coaches. And so, and then Cincinnati, right, has yep. a one-loss season. They lose in the Peach Bowl, right? And, and as opposed to winning it, they lose in it. And I think their preseason ranking was, what, 8 or 10, right, I believe? 8th eighth. Eighth in, eighth. Uh, eighth in the Associated Press and 10th yep. uh, in the coaches. Yeah, and listen, I'm I'm rooting for Cincinnati. I I I like the American Athletic Conference. It's a good conference, and you know, with everything I just said, too, obviously 100% agree. UCF has to go to the Big 12, and I was, I, listen, guys, I was beating that drum years ago that the Big 12 should have taken UCF before all this yeah. happened. Um, yeah, but you know, a little slow to the table. Their hand, their hand got pushed by Texas and Oklahoma, <laughs> like everyone else did. But uh, it, it's going to be a really good conference for UCF down the road. I'm excited for them and, and the fan base uh, with that said. So, yeah. Cool stuff. Renee, let's do this again at some point. What, Anytime, time, fellas. Hold, listen, Jeff, I want to see you up and jogging, though, next time when I do I, it, okay? No more I, bed, bed stuff. It's I a little know, awkward, man. you know? Hey, soon, <laughs> soon as I – listen, as soon as I get these these three herniated discs fixed, you better believe that I'm going to be – I'm going to be back up and at it, man. Well – uh, you know, I didn't want to tell the viewers. And maybe I mean, what what's the truth? Like, didn't Eric elbow you out of the way going to the buffet at halftime at the, <laughs> up in UCF? Like, no, he gave I, you a shot and you tumbled. That's not 
Oh, that's what Mark Daniel said. That's not true. No, no. The, 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 I, I messed up these discs because I was I, I did. I was working camera for six years there we go, the in my TV. career and just trying yeah. to make Eric look good. You know, that's a that's lot hard. of heavy lifting. That's a very difficult thing. Well, there you go. And now, now you're paying the price. But just, you know, just like a gladiator in the ring. All right. Get the surgery. Get back <laughs> in there. You'll be all good. So hopefully, yeah. guys, hopefully next year. Um Things get back to a little, I don't want to say normal because they're pretty much back to normal, this whole at-home thing. Hopefully I am on the road full-time next year and I come to the bounce house. I can see you guys in person. Drive over and hang out, man. You'll Sounds like a deal. Well, it's funny you say that because I think uh, I, I, I think I'm actually going to come to the uh, USF game that Friday. So my daughter plays college soccer at Lynn University. It's a Division II school in Boca. Yep. Um, and she's got some international teammates that have never been to a football game. So they're going to come up for Thanksgiving. So I think uh, as long... I believe I have a Saturday game. So that one of the perks of calling from home, no travel, right? So I think I'll have a Saturday game. So I think I'll be able to shoot over there for the big uh, war on I-4. So you never know. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll snag a pass and come up in the press box and say, cool stuff. come on by, come on down. I'll see you. In the, I'll see you'll you in the see Jeff there. look like Hugh Freeze coaching. You there know? you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Rini and Goliath, thank guys. you so much enjoy for joining it. us. We'll see you on Twitter. Hey, enjoy the show. Uh, have a good show on uh, Saturday. We'll see you then. You got it. Thanks, guys. All right, stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast will be back after this. You know, they're very, very talented. Uh, that quarterback, wow. He, he's uh, He's got the wow factor when you watch him on film. He can make all the throws. Uh, he understands protections. He gets them in and out of good you know, plays. Um, you know, you got to keep a guy off balance. I mean, that's the only only way you can uh, um, offense like this. They got really talented receivers. They got a very talented tight end, and their running back's good too. So, I mean, I think overall, there's a reason they're top ten. I think he leads every category, you know, in our in our league, every passing category. So, it's a big challenge for our defense. Something they're looking forward to. Uh, we'll need to play well. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Joining us real quick to kind of wrap up on football because what an interview we just had with Reedy and Golia. Uh, Stat boy Drew, Drew Gukov, joins us here, uh, uh, who is no chopped liver himself, I must say. But uh, I happen uh, to he, like chopped liver, though, but that comes with growing up. Let's in not East talk Ch- about that. It happens to be with growing up in, in Jewish delis in East Cleveland. I mean, it's, it's the nature of the beast. I, I own it. I'm listen, excellent pastrami, right? Hey, corned beef is where and it's corn at, beef. man. It's where it's at. But deliver, no, thank you. I'm not a fan of inter- eating well, internal organs. I hate liver. I, I would like to stop <laughs> talking about liver right now. Okay, oh, I so make, I can make it so much no, worse. Okay. I can let's, make it so let's much talk worse. about let's talk instead of liver, let's talk about the heart that this UCF team is gonna have to show to beat SMU real quick. And you and Kyle Nash are going to be joining, are going to be coming on night shift right after the conclusion of the game. But, you know, just like Rini talked about, this is a, uh, there's an opportunity here, isn't there, Drew? There absolutely is. And I'm I'm trying to think of the number of different deli jokes I can make. Uh, You know, the, the heart of, of the team is, is really what's been keeping them going because, you know, you, you've, the team is done with dealt with uh, an absurd amount of injuries. Now, Coach Malzahn injured with the crack tibia. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you're actually on the field or not. You're liable to get injured if you're in UCF football this year. Uh, so I'm, you know, that you know, 
However, his tongue is not at issue here. He's still going to be on the field coaching. He's still going to be doing his thing. Uh, but, you know, UCF's in a bit of a pickle. They, they have to play against a, an SMU team that is angry. Uh, they, they dropped, you know, they, they were the, the big team going up against Cincinnati and they have tanked the last couple of weeks and it's really put a damper in their season. And, you know, the last thing they want is another loss, you know, going in. And this is for really the sole spot third place in the league right now. You see, you have UCF has it there. They played a, an extra game. What that's, what's on the line here. Cause UCF closes with UConn and South Florida. The expectations are going to win those games. They, they win this. They've got a chance for a 10 win season. There's a lot on the line here for UCF. Yep. Uh, and, and SMU knows there's a lot on the line for them too. This is going to impact where they go for bowl games. You know, there, there's been a lot of wild predictions and, and Eric and I are going to be coming out with ours soon. Uh, I'm still standing by UCF going to the military bowl. I, that was my belief before the season ever started. And it's my belief today. Now, granted, I thought SMU was going to be the number two, not Houston, but you know, things kind of played out a little bit funny like that. That's, That's why we right. play the game. That's why we played again. All right. So give us the lowdown on Saturday. You've got, uh, uh, well, I wanted to, uh, but you guys are doing night shift. You and Kyle, right? We're, you guys are getting the band back together. We're getting the band back together. I mean, it's been years since we we've done a show together, but, uh, we've done shows together for years. So it, it's about time, but this is, this is going to be a fun, uh, a, a fun one, you know, starts at 11 o'clock locally, 12 o'clock here, ESPNU as, you know, as, uh, you know, the last segment, you know, uh, throughout there a couple of times. And, and this is an SMU team that can throw the ball and score. And they've been slow to get going. They're going to have to try to change that. And, and UCF's best chance of winning is keep the game close. You know, East Carolina, Tulane, you know, they kept the yeah. games close and they were able to find a way to win. The, uh, by the way, I looked at the latest number from Odd Shark. SMU is favored by seven. 72% of the money is on UCF plus the seven. Uh, there's, there's reason why I, uh, the expectation is Jalen Robinson is going to be back playing. You know, he, he's been practicing the last couple of weeks. Uh, and while he did warm up this past Saturday, they Dress, often, but didn't play. Yeah. Dress, but didn't play. He was, he was available for emergency use, but they never needed him. And you know what? It's better off that way. And the thing is you want to, you want to incrementally bring them back in, you know, Mikey Keene, freshman, you know, he's going to go with the guys that he feels the most comfortable with. He's developed the best rapports with, with Brandon Johnson, with, with Ryan O'Keefe. Those have been his go-to guys. Now Alec Holler's really become a, a really focal point of this offense is that, that, you know, big option, you know, we haven't seen a, a tight end become a, a valuable guy in the offense since Jordan Aikens was around. But it's going to take time for a, a different dynamic to develop. Uh, obviously, this is all, you know, a temporary thing because the expectation is that Dylan Gabriel's going to come back at some point this year. I mean, he's been, you know, he's been out there practicing, you know, getting ready. And as we know from from experience with with injuries, you can't you one you can't rush them because bad things happen. We see that with Dante Culpepper in the NFL. You, know, you don't want to rush bad injuries. And, and two, you know, you done. Okay. I mean, you, you could have said, you know, not, you know, the potential for a 10 win season without Dylan for most of it, that would have been insane. Uh, 
you know, if you said that in the beginning of the year, but this is reality. You know, UCF is, is still on pace for a potential 10 win season with a true freshman quarterback with a starting running back. That's missed a number of games because yeah. of injuries, your top wide receivers out your top defensive lineman's out. I, you know, you, you lost one of your, your main linebackers to the transfer portal. I, there's hits all over the place and they're still coming. And that comes Listen, back there, to we the are literally, aspects. we are, we are literally <laughs> MacGyvering. A 10 win season right now. A duct Trying tape and chewing gum, man, throwing a paper clip in there. <laughs> Boy, you've got yourself one heck of a, a winning formula. Oh, man. All right, Drew. Well, I, I know the insight is brief, but thanks for bringing it in because, you know, you uh, now promo night shift because we're going all in on this thing throughout the month of November, right? We've got you and Kyle running the show. We got it's not just up on YouTube, it's also up on Twitter, it's up on Facebook, and we're throwing it in our podcast feed as well. So give us the sell. Yeah, not only that, but uh, uh, Kyle's been working the phones really hard, bringing in. It looks like Aaron Evans is supposed to be joining us, former offensive lineman uh, and a good friend uh, of Kyle's. Friend of the pod. He's jumping right in. And I think it'd be really cool because, you know, we've had Trey on multiple times, defensive guy. Now we have an offensive guy, give a very different perspective. I think it'd be a great, great listen. Trey would appreciate this having played on the same team in 2017 as Aaron is like, listen, the defense has been on the field a little too much. (laughs) Oh man, that couldn't probably say that any better. Uh, Yeah. Give the defense a break, you know, slow down a little bit. Trey's Trey to his credit has been bending, but not breaking, but we need to throw. So we need the offense needs to hang onto the ball a little bit here. I I can't argue that, you know, (laughs) both Kyle and I did play offensive line, you know, when we were younger, Uh, he did semi-pro ball. I, I did, I was, I played in high school before my arms fell apart and had to go under the knife uh, and, and stop growing. But, you know, we all we all think like linemen. Uh, that's one reason why uh, Kyle and I used to always play pickup football and would want to play the line because that's just what we do. Uh, but it'll be really cool to hear, you know, from the, the perspective of, of a player who did play on the FBS level and was able to to, you know, excel and, and was one of the best in, in recent years at UCF and Aaron Evans. So tune in. Uh, you won't be disappointed. It'll be a lot of fun. And hopefully it'll be after an SMU win. A win against SMU. I I was going to say, easy there. Oh, man, I almost slipped on that one. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. You want to hang around and talk about about Olympic sports? We got plenty of time. Let's go ahead and dive in. Let's just dive right in. Let's do this. All right. So let's talk about the other football real quick. Uh, UCF men's soccer, they have got a hill to climb. Uh, They lost. they They had the lead. Had the lead against Tulsa. Uh, number five, Tulsa. Uh, right number two in this polls this week, right, by the way. Yeah, and and Tulsa scored two second half goals to beat them two to one. If UCF wins that game, it's a totally different complexion to the season. But as of right now, your RPI has UCF all the way down to sixty. They could have because they're eight and seven overall. They had, what a weird season. They could have swept as could have swept Tulsa. But now they're eight and seven. The RPI is 60. Remember, 48 teams get into the NCAA tournament. 60 is just not going to do it. So they got to play themselves in. They're playing at the, the conference tournament is being played at Tulsa. Uh, the first round, they just changed the times too, Eric. Uh, UCF and, and Memphis. Now, get this. Memphis knocked off SMU 
on the last night of the season. So your semifinals on uh, today, Wednesday, November 10th, look like this. Men's soccer, UCF, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, ESPN Plus against number three seed Memphis. UCF is the number two seed, okay? Tulsa plays at 8.30. They're the one seed against four seed SMU. That's, that's a very winnable game for SMU, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to last year when UCF was the one seed and played SMU in the semis. Uh, right. So In what was one of the most amazing soccer games you'll ever see. It's real simple. Tulsa's going to be in the NCAA tournament regardless. This is a one-bid league unless somebody other than Tulsa wins the league. UCF has to win the tournament to have a shot to get back to the NCAA tournament. The problem is they're just too inconsistent. Uh, this is not a team that's it's done a good job coming from behind. It seems when they fall behind a goal or two, it kind of snowballs. We've seen that. We saw that against Memphis earlier this year when Memphis beat them. So they got to get off to a good start, and you hope their psyche is good because it seems like when things go south, it really goes south. And, you know, it's been a tough finish, a disappointing finish to this season for them, kind of like the women where they're, they were kind of in position, they were in good shape, and then – uh, they just kind of hit the the blocks here, hit the road, if you will, here and struggled. So they got to win the tournament. Hopefully they regroup. If not, their season's going to come to an end. Well, yeah. it all becomes a, ba- a battle of momentum. You know, you're talking about a team that's coming off three straight losses. That, that's hard to turn around. But granted, yeah. you know, they looked they looked pretty good against Tulsa, you know, but but still, that's hard to get you. You got to get over that block. That, that becomes a mental thing. It starts dogging you. You, you, you lose against USF to get this started and it, it – you know, it goes downhill. Yeah. Uh, and it only can play games with you, especially when you know your back's against the wall. You know, being 60th in the RPI, the women's was 62. They didn't get in. Yeah. They didn't you get know, in. It's, it's basically win or go home. And even SMU at 46, there's no guarantee they get in with that kind of RPI. No, I think I'm telling you, I think it's a one bid league, unless, you know, unless somebody beats Tulsa to win the conference tournament. Somebody else wins the conference tournament. Otherwise, it's a one bid league. And yeah. UCF SMU, proven, by the way, they 46 RPI. So. Yeah. They can win. I mean, they, they beat him, beat him at UCF and I should have beat him at Tulsa. It's I the Tulsa really curse. Yeah. But you're, you mentioned, you know, they, it, I mean, both men and women struggled at the end. The women lost at Cincinnati. They were in. They had a 38 RPI going into that match. They lose. Now they got to go to Memphis. They get knocked out in the opening round of the conference tournament. And they're out. They're out of the postseason altogether. We're seeing the same thing with the men. It's a very eerily similar finish for both the women and the men. And that's just the way it is this year. I know some people are upset about it, but that's kind of how this yeah. has worked out. So it's and, been a and, tough finish for soccer. And, and by the way, can we please chill it with the hot so- hot seat talk, please? <laughs> there, there's Everybody no out hot there. seat going on. Here, here's there the is thing. No there's hot no hot seat going you can on. Be di- here's the thing people got to understand. You can be disappointed in a season or in a team, but not, uh, but not be on the hot seat. I think people have to realize that. I mean, otherwise, the Cleveland Browns would be firing coaches every five minutes. Well, I mean, they did fire two within a, within a single season. <laughs> well, well, what has that done? Yeah, I mean, give me a break. So, look, yes, <laughs> I get it. People are disappointed with the soccer finish and women's soccer in particular with the tradition. I get it. But, no, there's no hot seat. Stop. Stop. We, we got to stop putting coaches in hot seats every five minutes when they drop again. Well, right? I, I think yeah, especially, it's – Especially especially coaches that in, in Olympic sports graduate their students, okay, are, competi- are competing in the conference. And oftentimes in soccer, you guys know how this is, one bad bounce, one, or, one way or the other, and you're going from conference champions to, on, to in the outhouse, right? There's the, the margin of error in soccer is so much thinner 
than arguably any other sport. Um, and plus, every coach at UCF deserves to have an entire Big 12 recruiting cycle. Every single one. That's why well, Terry Bohadger was was sending out was passing out uh, contract extensions. Well, that's the most important part. Then. It really doesn't matter what anybody thinks. What does Terry Bahadur think? He's right. giving Coach Zahadak an extension. He's giving Coach Calabrese an extension. He's giving other coaches an extension. That's the that's their answer. That's why you're not in the hot seat. If you have a long-term ex- deal in Olympic sports, you're going to coach out through your contract. That's the difference. 90% mm-hmm. of coaches that uh, in the Olympic sports coach throughout their contract. This ain't football where you're firing a guy after two years. It doesn't work right. that way. So unless you want to be a heavy booster, it ain't going to happen. Anyway, not so only that, you know. but you, you then create a really bad expectation. You know, who wants to work for you? Exactly. If that's how you show the loyalty. You know, I understand, you know, season didn't quite go the way you wanted, but you know, these administrators know that things, things swing pretty quickly. And you're, yeah. when you're competing with a lot of other schools, things can change. And when you're at that line, like UCF uh, women's was, was one of those bubble teams that just fell off. It, it's, it's very unforgiving, but it's a very thin line. And it's okay to be yeah. disappointed. It's fair to be critical of certain things. That's fine. But, you know, look, Don Shula didn't make the playoffs from 1986 to 1989. I survived, you know, they, they, they kept, yeah, I don't think that happened. So uh, that's, that's my only thing. But thank you for caring, though. So, that's good. I want more people to care. Give me more Olympic sports. People, I'm okay with it. Want people, it we want people to care, We want, but we also need some reason in the house. But just right? go after Jeff. Don't. I'm, I'm good. You guys could uh, well, you know what? just go after Jeff. Keep doing that's it. What, that's why I've created the new year. Drew UCF and I are good. On Twitter, so. We're good. All right. Um, let's uh, – all right. Volleyball. I want to talk about volleyball. Yeah. They just continue to roll. Uh, nine straight wins now. Uh, although, although as Bryson Turner pointed out in the in the nightcap, they did lose their first set since October the tenth. Yeah, fell down two sets to Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, to Cincinnati came back at, and I don't know what happened in those first two sets, man. I, I, I it's but they came back. They they defeat Cincinnati in five. Um, Twenty five. By the way, dominated in the in the third and fourth. 25-15, before just taking care of business in the fifth. Um, <clears throat> Twenty, and then picked up their twentieth win of the season. Twelve of them sweeps against the ECU Pirates. Uh, uh, McKenna Melville just continues to dominate. We are officially on McKenna Watch uh, as far as we're concerned because you know she may be getting to two thousand kills by the end of the year. Uh, she had uh, eleven more. And 18 digs plus two aces against ECU. And this uh, UCF volleyball team just continues to roll. Look at the RPI, Eric. They are firmly ensconced in the top 20 now. They are it, they are right at number 20 at 20 and 6. Uh, and with no tournament to play games with them now, all they got to do is just keep winning. They're two games up yeah. in the standings on Houston. Uh, and it, who's two games up on three other teams. Uh, but thirteen to one in the conference. Just keep doing what you're doing, and the and we need. You know what? Do any, either of you guys know how to calculate a magic number? I gotta go calculate this anyway. Eric, well, I don't right? know about that, but I can tell you. I mean, the bigger number that I'm more concerned with, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna win the league. It's just a matter of you know when, not if. The bigger thing is the RPI you mentioned. They're twenty. Miami is sixteen. Florida State seventeen. 
Florida's 23. Hello. Everybody's complaining about being our football state being terrible this year. How about we're a volleyball state? I mean, that's kind of crazy, but we're a volleyball state. I mean, I'm not even including Florida Gulf Coast, who's in the 40s in RPI. That's big. And I think that's Cincinnati wins because one of those teams is going to host. Let's be real. Florida, Florida State, Miami, one of those three is probably going to host because they're going to have a better, tougher schedule down the stretch. So they're going to get more resume wins than UCF is in the American. So UCF's probably going to go to one of those places unless they win out and get some help. Then UCF may be backdoors and hosts. That is what we're following here in the next month because I think these teams are going to play each other in the NCAA tournament, and that's what this team is playing for. They're playing for December. They're playing to make a deep run. I think those players are looking to kind of avenge the you know the spring tournament if you will so I, mm-hmm. I think that's where we're at with this team and I think that's why they fell behind Cincinnati I think they kind of didn't come out ready to go Cincinnati kind of threw everything at them and I think UCF kind of flipped the switch that being said once you get to December that switch you got to be careful with so I would hopefully not see that too more often but that's that's something to follow in the next few weeks with this team is can they get in a position to host and if not where are they going uh because that that's going to be very important yeah. Again, I just, the, the whole thing about like, you know, what do they do? In the, it, it's, you know, something, there's an analogy to be made here. Like I'm I, I, hearing people talk about like postseason disappointment when it comes to UCF sports is, is like getting a lecture on morality from, and I'm a recovering Catholic. It's like getting a lecture on morality from somebody who attends, just attends church twice a year on Easter and Christmas. Like, I really don't want to hear it. Like, you don't follow the sport. You don't know Whoa, what you're talking about. Oh, boy. Here we go, Drew. He's fired. You don't fired. know what you're talking about. All right? Uh, Leave it to the people like the three of us who do know well, what no, I, I want people to be interested and invested. I I'm get not that. I I like want, I'm fine. Interested. I like interest. I love investment. Okay? But don't call for jobs when, you know... Uh, when there's don't call no, for, but, but, don't call play. for don't call for people's jobs based on your standards, which are based on not knowing what the sport's about. I, I'd like to point out that Purdue made their first tournament in women since 2009. And what was it? Um, was it Rutgers who made it to their second tournament ever? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Rutgers. Uh, shoot. I don't remember who it was now, uh, but there was another school that made it for the second time ever. I mean, yeah, I understand UCF has a very rich NCAA women's soccer history, you know, being one of the pioneering schools with North Carolina. But, you know, things come, things go. Well, and look, I, look, Amanda I mean, Cromwell's not coming back. You, know, This is this is our reality. Yeah, I mean, she's a Hall of Fame coach for a reason, national champion coach at UCLA. He's doing quite well. Like, here's the thing. I think it's a good thing that people have expectations for all these UCF sports. It tells you that the programs have risen, like volleyball, the high expectations. We have but a generational the, but player. The expectations have to be within reason. Why, why is that not reasonable, well, though, for remember, them to advance a, in volleyball, though? Why, well, how is that not three, reasonable? Eric, remember, this is a three-bid league. This was not a Which push over, uh, women's soccer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I uh, agree with you on soccer. No, not, I'm not talking about soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I not understand. a pushover league. It's not. I, know I agree. Called out. I agree. Soccer, yes, the goals are to make the tournament. No one's more disappointed than the coaches and the players. I think people have this idea like they don't care. Like, no, they care. They're just, trust me, they're more ticked off than we are, than you are. Everybody is. I don't have, I think it's it's a compliment that there are expectations. Yeah, I think volleyball should have expectations to advance in the NCAAs. 
That's their own expectations. They've been to the second round. They want to be that first team to get to the Sweet 16. Shoot high. I don't have a problem with that. I think every team at UCF has high expectations. I, the only one that I think has to be very careful is men's basketball because I feel like what I don't want is three months from now, if this men's basketball team is kind of like a, a few games over 500 or in fifth place, people are going to be, you know, think it's a disastrous season when it's oh my not. God, don't even start. Oh. But that's my point. But I understand why people think volleyball. Look, volleyball has dominated this league. No question about it. But the question they is, won, can, they won 68 of their last great. 72 against American Correct. Athletic Conference opponents. So now the question is, can they get deep, deep run in the NCAAs? Can they do what Cincinnati did with Jordan Thompson, get to a sweet 16? They have a generational player. Take advantage of this. That's that's all. I By think. the way, so I will defend fans on that. Now, I will defend the them on that. One of the dampers on volleyball is just the strength of the league or lack thereof. Correct. It's not a strong league. It's going to be a one-bid league. That, and also uh, how the NCAA will continually screw UCF. Oh, but you told to me all the, the state of but, but, but you told me the playoffs are great in the other sports. I mean, they're not flawed at all. <laughs> but I mean, this—that's just the truth. That's and it's always one of the head-scratching things. You look at the the coaches' top twenty-five, and UCF doesn't even get a single vote. Yet well, don't even get started Miami, on polls. Florida I mean, State volleyball polls. Florida I mean. are all. With votes, Florida being ranked in the top 25. Mary Wise, baby. Yeah. Mary Wise. The yeah. brand matters, yeah. baby. UCF at 20th in the RPI, and they don't even sniff a single vote in the polls. I mean, it just shows the lack of strength in the league. But UCF it also shows that every sport's just like football. It's, it's, it's all about the brand. Story. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, it's not now, about the brand. It's the fact that if you're not good, you know, if the, if the, you, you need the rest of the league to help you. And you that's why they're moving to, this on your own. And that's one of the reasons why they're moving to the Big 12, as yeah. well as the Big Check. But you're moving to the Big 12 to to, well, to avoid that issue. By, by, the, by the way, we want to talk about no oh, where you go. By the way, we want to talk about generational players. McKenna Melville. 1,841 kills. Yeah. She's 91 shy of number two all time at UCF. She's 310 shy of number one all time at UCF. And get this. 640 shy of NCAA Division One all-time top 10. She should get that next year, in, barring anything going wrong. By the way, and you talk about generational players. As you know, as you mentioned, Jordan Thompson at Cincinnati. Olympian right, Eric? Jordan Thompson now, yes. Oh, Gold medalist. Arguably the MVP of Team USA in sure. the Olympics. How long did it take her to get out of the first round of the NCAA tournament? It was her senior year. Her Actually, no, year. I take that back. They got twice. They went to the second round. Her sophomore got out of the first week, got out of the first weekend. Yeah. Her senior year. This is McKenna's technically, this is McKenna's senior year too. Well, she's got one more year to go. Well, because of COVID, but that's why the expectations are high. But again, I want to emphasize, it doesn't mean you can be disappointed and still have a great year. I think people somehow we have lost. And it also doesn't mean, and it also doesn't mean that fans need to start calling for coaches heads. I think that's what. No, you're but I think it's good to care about the sports. I'm glad they care. There's a difference I like the between the two. Mm-hmm. I, I like the fact that they care too. But when you start, but when you start calling for coaches' heads, they call that for every sport. I mean, good lord! I mean, how many times has Drew uh, been calling you know, for for Browns coaches over the years? Probably well, every not five. That I know, many, actually. <laughs> listen, the Cleveland Browns is totally justified, but this this is ridiculous. If you don't know what, if you, if you, if you're, well, my point on this is this, the coaches, if you form your opinion, oh, listen, if you form, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I went, sorry to interrupt, but I want to say, if you form your opinion on certain sports, on Olympic sports and you see it based on the one time you watch them, which is in, which is when they're in the NCAA tournament. And that's when you determine whether or not UCF should keep a coach or not. You don't know what you're talking about. So shut up.
That's Jeff Sharon. Tweet at him. Drew and I. Over there. Yeah, I know. This is a fiery show, man. Is, is this, this been the, a very is this fiery. The, I'm in pain. Everything. Makes oh, definitely. Grumpy. I think he's mad because I compared him to Hugh Freeze in the last. Medicine's second. wearing off. That's what it is. <laughs> it's because Hugh Freeze coaches at Liberty. We know how he feels about that yeah, school. I'm, I'm, That's right. I'm Conference move. USA's member, Liberty now, folks. All right. Yeah. Congratulations. Good luck with that. Uh, men's tennis, by the way, uh, we had a couple of uh, Trey Hildebrand and Bugden Pavel were out in California for the ITA Fall Nationals. Uh, they uh, got to the uh, round of 16. So job well done. That's that, like I said, that's the U.S. Open of college tennis if Wimbledon's the NCAA tournament. So congrats to them. Uh, and also congrats to uh, Johnny Travell, who uh, you know, the, the native Canadian uh, finished in third place at the Spirit International uh, Golf uh, Championship, uh, which is another uh, off, which is not an NCAA event, but uh, but he'll be back you know, again, for 2022. So uh, for UCF, the, you know, you talk about expectations. I think expectations. Oh, they're going to be high expectations there. By the way, check out Nightcap. Bryson Turner is not with us. In fact, Drew is filling in. He's playing the Bryson role uh, very well, uh, d- decently. I wouldn't say well, but decently. Uh, I, I'm spotting in kind of like, uh, kind of like Johnny Richardson spelling, spelling Isaiah Bowser. There you go. Ooh, good, yeah, good comparison. Yeah, you're grabbing, good you're, comparison. You're, you're grabbing the ball and just running right smack into the line instead of using your yeah. vision. Correct. That's, how I, right. that's how I roll. Use your blockers. Just <laughs> that's true. Use them uh, the right way, right? <laughs> exactly. So Bryson, though, will be covering volleyball on Saturday and then the black and gold series in baseball. And then on our yes. next episode next week, we will give you an in-depth uh, breakdown of UCF baseball. Bryson's going to give us what he's learned. He's been out there. He's watched him play over the last couple of weeks. So we'll get an idea what to expect from baseball in 22. And we'll do a little softball as baseball and softball wrap up. By the way, shout out to softball signing day in a lot of sports today, soccer, uh, you know, other sports, softball being one of them. Number 25 recruiting class in the country, according to next training, second year in a row in the top 25 nice. class. So nice. there you go. How about that? Recruiting. Volleyball, that by the Whatever way, starts a four match uh, home streak right now, Thursday, 7 p.m., against memphis they got smu on saturday uh at noon and then wednesday 7 p.m november 17th war on i4 ucf against south florida at the venue followed by friday november 19th against temple and that'll be senior day that friday 7 p.m match uh for ucf against temple so uh lots to talk about with volleyball as they as they play their final four matches uh of the season at home at 20 and 6 they could get to 24 and 6 and 17 and one in the conference. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Eric, if they win out in conference, they could clinch. There's a possibility they could clinch the conference championship. If if UCF wins all four and then Houston loses once, they could clinch the conference championship at home on Friday the 19th. We would prefer that for uh, very selfish reasons. We, Me and Bryce, yeah, we obviously. talked about that. So uh, we have other... Things we're working on way, on the volleyball side. Yeah, here's Houston's uh, Houston situation. They've got ECU Friday, Cincinnati Sunday at home. That's a losable match for them. Uh, and then at Memphis at SMU, 19th and 21st. So keep an eye on Houston and keep an eye on UCF with this four-match four uh, four homestand coming up. All right. That'll do it for us for today here on the Black it up. Banner at Podcast. Basketball coming at you Wednesday night. night. I'm going to try and edit this thing, get it up as quickly as possible, and then, I don't know, maybe 
remedicate myself so I'm in a better mood to do PA. Seriously, tonight. holy smokes. This guy is grumpy. Seriously. I'm, I'm unhappy. Get off my lawn. I know. I know. Uh, if for, by the way, huge thanks to Reedy and Golia for joining us for an amazing football segment. You can follow Reedy at R E N E I N G O G L I A on Twitter. That was fun to listen to. God, he was so good. We need to have, I, I just want to talk to Reedy like every day. Like he can like, like, how do you not want to talk football with that guy? Thanks again to Drew, you for popping in. Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. Thanks to Eric, of course, Eric Lopez Elo. Make sure you follow. Uh, also, uh, you can follow Kyle Nash at the SOTG for Student of the Game on Twitter. And also, it's Bryson Turner to follow Bryson Turner on Twitter for all the latest on UCF Sports. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you already subscribed, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. Leave us a comment. We always appreciate it uh, as well. Don't forget, Night Shift immediately following UCF and SMU. Drew and Kyle will be coming at you, hope with Aaron Evans, uh, to break down UCF's game against SMU. Hopefully, it's a positive result. So, for Eric and Drew, I'm Jeff saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the weekend.